0: hello i'm jeff lester and welcome to wait what a comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from inside the not-so-solitary fortress that is wait what Podcast.com. today in nearly two and a half hours graham mcmillan and i call the square dance that is comic book pop culture with discussions about the Kirby family settlement the death-defying dr mirage the first issue of godhead featuring green lantern and the new gods Grayson number three, miss Marvel, Doctor Who, the 11th Doctor number three, The Hospital Suite, Gotham and Gotham Academy, and much, much more. Semi-blurry show notes are now available at WaitWhatPodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at WaitWhatPodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester, Graham McMillan. It feels like it's been a while since we've done this, right? Or is it just me? No, no, no. Me too. Although, hold on. For some reason, it looks like call recorder. No, call recorder is recording. Yes, it feels like forever, even though technically we didn't miss our schedule and our we didn't miss our schedule. And also, I saw you like four days ago. It's true, right? So yeah, that definitely does. Tend but to if, it us feels off. like forever since we've done a podcast. Hello, a podcast. listeners. We've missed you. Yeah, remember us, guys. We remembered you, honest. No, um, oh, we did. We even shot a video
1: for you. Although, A, only the Patreon people will see it. And B, I'm not quite sure when that will happen. But, the, but it happens.
0: Yes, it did happen. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It'd be curious to see, um, The
1: timeline it, and the, that video. Yes. <laughs> both will be very curious to see. Yeah. All I'll say is this, Patreon, uh, people. You'll get it. Oh, yes. And you'll, I mean, you'll get it relatively soon. I just don't know how relative that relative
0: is. (laughs) Graham, you should have an official job saying things like that because really, that was brilliant. (laughs) You... you not think I sound completely on top of my
1: shit when I say that. No, I, th- I mean, come on. I, I think I sound like a, my finger is on the pulse, whether whether or not it's the pulse of a particular animal. Who knows? See, but that's, my fingers that's on what's there.
0: Brilliant. That's what's brilliant. The the like, my fingers on the pulse of what? Who knows? But exactly. There's definitely a pulse. Mm-hmm. We're
1: all fine. Yes. I don't know what you're talking about. Please <laughs> look th- the other direction. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well done. So, um, gosh, I and this is the thing that's hilarious, is I feel that because we saw each other and got some i got some serious quality time, I'm like, I don't know what we're gonna talk about.
1: Oh, Uh, Jeff, there's so much we could talk about. I
0: know there's a ton so
1: much. First of all, listeners when, because you were not hanging out with Jeff and I in Portland uh, you did not discover that in 1993 Jeff released uh, an R&B album <laughs> uh, called oh god I'm going to get this wrong is it called Can You Feel the Feeling That I'm Feeling
0: that is it it is impossible to get that wrong I know
1: no 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 really I've been getting that wrong all week but yes <laughs> Can You Feel the Feeling That I'm Feeling uh, yes. the Jeff Lester album yeah. uh, according to your brother is available on Amazon
0: yeah He's, he's an unimpeachable source.
1: I think, I think it might be on Google Play.
0: (laughs) Yes, I think he said that as well, too. Wow, you remember a lot of that. Yes, (laughs) uh, including featuring the, the hit songs, uh, Rapping Intermission and (laughs) Your Chicken and Tomatoes. Which I think is like one of the best, you know, I mean, I mean, I should be more self-effacing, but when you're talking 90s sexy slow jams, you're basically talking about your chicken and tomatoes, you know?
1: People who missed this conversation, which is everyone who listens to this <laughs> who's not Jeff and myself, uh, it was the greatest conversation. Uh, Jeff Lester, when he gets together with his brother Tim, is the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> Well, thank you, Graham. You you will laugh so much, your belly will hurt.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's uh,
1: it. It was it was incredibly amusing. But yes, Jeff's uh, latent R and B career was a topic of discussion
0: this weekend. Yes, for some time, for some th- maybe <laughs> for really quite some time. Yeah. some might say too long. Oh, I, I think everyone would say too long, <laughs> actually. But uh, particularly even with us uh, bringing it up now. But uh, yeah, no, it was. It was great fun. Actually, you know, the thing that's so funny is I thought you were going to talk about um, the press release that I haven't issued yet.
1: Oh, I, I really wanted to. I just didn't know if you wanted to talk about it because you haven't issued it. Although, chances are by the time this goes live, you will have, right?
0: I think so. I think so. I think it's going to be the next thing now that the uh, the photo post has gone up. Which,
1: uh, oh, is the photo post up?
0: Yeah, you should look and scroll through it, because holy God, there's like, I figured it would just be like, you know. Some know. photos? Yeah. For, like... for people who do not follow WaitWhatPodcast.com,
1: Jeff, while on vacation in Portland, went to how many comic stores?
0: Uh, well, actually, I, I broke this into five parts, and that ended up being four shops in Portland and one in Seattle. Although, um, with crazy caveats all over the place, among other things, I forgot to take play- photos in one of those comic book shops. So one of those comic book shops. Oh,
1: Floating Worlds, yes, I'm seeing that right now. Yeah,
0: is represented by the extraordinarily lovely uh, Judge Dredd pinball game. So, um, yeah, are you looking at that photo of that pinball game?
1: Uh, I, yeah, I, I've already just scrolled past it because I'm looking at the terrible photograph of me, your wife,
0: and my wife. Oh, that's that's not a terrible photo. Do you think that's a terrible? See, I included it. Of course, I'm like, course, it's my of course, favorite people. Of so
1: yeah. I love that Kate is actually looking at her phone at that point. Yes. I do think at that point we were actually talking about something you had said and trying to look it up. Because <laughs> if you look at that photograph, you see Kate looking uh, up something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, see, and you see me smiling at Edie, and Edie looking. Let's face it. Kind of like she's like, "Oh, Jeff Lester," and I'm fairly <laughs> sure that's what she was, what was going on. Really?
0: Oh my yeah. god, that is hilarious. Uh, yes.
1: uh, there's a photograph of you mm-hmm. looking up, looking up the comics, looking up. At that point, it's
0: got to be the kids' comics for June, right? Uh, no, actually, that is if you look a little closer. I want to say that that it should be the Star Brand comics that I was looking up for. Uh, in oh, the, you both poor of us. You poor, poor bastard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, right? So I'm very excited to buy those. But yes, people, if you jump over <laughs> to the...
1: I love that you did have a photograph of me being surprised in British City. I'm scrolling through this right now, yes. as you can tell. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. That is hilarious. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, Jeff, for two terrible photographs of me in that post. You know, Listeners, yes. go to com and see some uh, comic book stores from Portland. And also, uh, two terrible photographs of me.
0: Those aren't terrible photos. You just—you're just convinced you don't take good photos, or are you actually I, saying that my photos of you are terrible? I'm just no, I—the—the I, I, the, the farmer. Oh, I see.
1: That's I, not, In fact, I wouldn't even say that. I think I take okay photographs. I think those are terrible
0: photographs of me. Oh, interesting. Okay, that could be. I—I uh, I, I apologize if that is isn't... You today. should, but you uh, see. I, okay, first off. <laughs> The one photo of you is a terrible photo because it is actually blurry. As a, as so The one in Bruce City? Are. Uh, yeah, the one where I've surprised well, you. Well, you took them on your phone. That's the thing. Well, <laughs> you know, you can take better photos on the phone. My problem is between my glasses and the phone, it's hard. But I, I think the photo of you smiling and looking at Edie is probably a pretty good photo, I think. But you don't we'll, seem to think we'll agree that. to disagree. Apparently, well, it, I think this means that the challenge is you need to I, go uh, out and.
1: Oh, I was going to say the challenge is the listeners should give it, give us their take. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that that could be sure, right? Like people are going to be like, "Um, so uh, that was terrible. <laughs> that photo's bad. This one needs a little more. Like you this really is need to, good. yeah. This, <laughs> yeah the,
1: we're not <laughs> sure about this one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. Uh, Yes. Uh, So among other things, while I was up in Portland, Edie and I were in Portland and and visiting the McMillans and my brother, Marvel came to uh, made a settlement with the Kirby family um, right before the Supreme Court was to weigh whether or not they would consider the case. Like of,
1: right before, like a week before.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think they made that s- that settlement. Gosh, when was it? It Was like on the twenty sixth or something like that? Yeah, it was definitely uh, the week I, before. The twenty sixth would have been the Friday, so that might might be right. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, I had well,
1: to look uh, Maybe the Thursday. It was the Thursday or the Friday. It was yeah. definitely late that week because mm-hmm. I
0: remember when you and I saw each other, we were both like, "Did you hear?" Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And and it's especially interesting. Uh, so I believe that whichever day it was, I believe the the Monday uh, of this week that we're recording, a.k.a. the 30th? No, the 29th. Um, the 29th. <laughs> so bad. I'm like, oh, this will be perfect. Tim's birthday was on the 27th. This, this, this
1: and, is you know. hilarious. Uh, the Kirby Settlement was on the 26th.
0: Yes. And that Monday, the, uh, the 29th, 29th, was... The, I think, was the day that the Supreme Court, it was the first day for the Supreme Court to consider whether or not they'd hear the case. So, it's that classic case of someone blinking. I will put a reference to it in the show notes, but, um, uh, as Graham pointed out on his Tumblr, um, Kurt Busiek did a really extraordinarily great job, I felt, of summarizing and encapsulating the entire situation, um, very succinctly, and talking about uh, talking about the case and the settlement in in a way that really cleared up a lot of I think misunderstandings and things. Well,
1: especially the misunderstanding that essentially it had happened because the Kirby estate was
0: greedy. Was greedy and had sued Marvel, which is is exactly not the case. Yes. So, yeah. So it's I think that's a great news, and for myself, I mean, well, let's put it this way because we're the wait what podcast we can sort of talk about this on air but um and i think you felt the same way although i am incredibly happy for the kirby family and am very sure that that is exactly and precisely what jack kirby himself would want um there is a way in which out of court settlements uh just kick the can further down the road for some of the larger issues at bay I mean, yes,
1: I, here's the thing, Jeff mm-hmm. and I, when we saw each other, we really did do the, did you hear? And then both of us independently of each other basically did
0: a, I kind of feel robbed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, uh, yeah. Part of me is like, I'm not sure if that's how I'd phrase it, but it's, it's sort of close. And it, it is a, for those of us who care about these kinds of things, um, by having this kicked Further on down the road, admittedly, with the Supreme Court in the state that it is, it seems extraordinarily unlikely that the Supreme Court would essentially upend... um you know 40 years yes, decades of, law. of current copyright law yeah and 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 frankly as as busick points out in the post if that extension of the copyright had not gone into effect in the 70s the number of characters that would now be in the public domain is truly staggering this was as much a case that you know disney um, as much as Marvel, most of the major i p current i p holders uh in the world would not want to risk a situation that that could turn around um the very basis on of which so much of today 's i don't know, culture culture I mean, today, is really founded on. yeah mm-hmm. it yeah.
1: it would be it would be staggering yeah. if that happened
0: exactly exactly
1: um, and yet I really do feel, robbed probably isn't the best way of putting it, but, mm-hmm. but I was, I was very excited at the prospect of this actually being a discussion that people not only had, but that there would be some level of conclusion to this. Yeah. One way or another. Although, right. you know, the potential of it going away that I would be happy with, let's face it, it's not incredibly likely. Yeah.
0: It, it was slim, but. It wasn't necessarily impossible either. Well, that's
1: just it, because the, the, the Kirby's really did have a lot of support.
0: Yeah, there there was. I mean, certainly with the Kirby's themselves, again, to quote Kurt, the fact that the guy, one of the authors of the law itself back in the 70s had laid in, uh, weighed in with an amicus brief saying this is not the proper way to interpret the law uh, was a very, very compelling um, argument for the Supreme Court to at least look at this click case and potentially turn it over on its merits, you know? Yeah,
1: exactly. It would have been fascinating to see what had happened. Yeah. Um, so, I, and what really has happened with this settlement is it's not going to happen for the Kirby's and Marvel, but it's definitely going to happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think at some point down the road, although I don't know, with so much money at stake, um, <sighs> Surely they can't settle everything. Well, honestly, I don't I don't really know. I I, I think they can. At, at I think with point, enough money. At some point, someone will not settle. Let's put it this way. The one person that I could see going through it and not settling would be it's someone Steve like Steve Ditko. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And as far as yep, I can tell. He, he wouldn't even do it. Well, see, that's it. And that's what I'm saying is, is I think that he's reconciled himself to not you know, yeah, interestingly yeah. enough, in reading the description of it, I was kind of like, you know, whatever, because there's certainly been rumors, I don't know how substantiated they are, that Ditko's um, A is A opinion is is that a contract is a contract. Uh, and therefore, he, although he doesn't feel like he ended up on the right angle of it, he's not going to say otherwise. I
1: could totally see that, given the way that Ditko is you know, not spit to find a point on it ended up. Yes. I could very much believe that he's just like, well, didn't work out in my favor, but if a man signs a contract.
0: Right. Exactly. And I think one of the things that's interesting is Busiek's description of the whole situation in which the drafters of the law changed the, rules about copyright and included situations for both parties in order to keep it fair, that the nature of the contracts in the sixties by being changed in the seventies, that there was a way in which the amounts or the ideas, uh, things being sold at the time, you know, changed in their value meant that they had to come up with ways to change, um, what was fair for each side of the party you know, I would like to think Ditko reading that might be, oh, well, maybe. And then I think if he pursued it in that reign, I don't think there's anyone who could, um, at that point, like pay him enough money to to get him off that case. But um, but yeah, for those of us who are kind of curious about like, I don't know, like you said, the very backbone of pop culture as it's aligned now runs so heavily in. The maintenance of pre created IP um, it, it would it would be a huge thing. I am fantastically happy for the Kirbys, but yeah disappointed, frustrated, not robbed, but I guess frustrated is perhaps the is, is perhaps the term I would use for myself and i'm also in this very strange uh, situation in that out of the three or four reasons why I was most upset. With Marvel, the Kirby thing was right at the top. With it being settled now, part of me is like, I guess I can... I would already moved to the stage where I was like, well, I'll buy Marvel stuff, but I'll just pay some serious penance for it. You know what I mean? I'll buy
1: Marvel stuff, but I'll feel very
0: guilty. No, it was more than feeling guilty, Graham. I was actually giving money away, damn you, to charities and proper people. Curses. So um, wait, no, Jeff.
1: Let's unpack the fact that you don't think the charities are proper. <laughs> <laughs> Today on Dick Moves podcast.
0: Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> the part of Dick Moves will be played by. <sighs> anyway, so oh my God. Dick Moves private eye, Jeff. It's then a is money. <laughs> <there>. It is. <laughs> Actually, I do went I'm like, huh, Dick Private Private Dick could be, at least for someone like me, the kind of like obsessive compulsive, you know, hacked hackney uh murder mystery series that I would love to read. But uh but maybe not. So, Graham, uh, Kirby, Marvel, things are somewhat different. And yet we'd have to say that Marvel in so many ways is still exactly the same Marvel as we were dealing with well, before yeah, that settlement. Well, yes. Mm-hmm. But hopefully the Kirby state
1: will get a lot more money
0: mm-hmm.
1: and hopefully Marvel will, pardon me, start acknowledging Kirby a bit more. Oh, yeah. It's super weird that Kirby is kind of not present. Mm-hmm. Like Marvel's like, we're 75 years old this year. Hooray. Here's, you know, the history of Captain Marvel. Here's, you know, Scarlet <laughs> <Starlight laughs> Spider. Right. And, you know, at no point have they really been like, oh, by the way. Here's Jack Kirby, who fucking created it.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So i i i I really hope that will change as it goes forward. And frankly, if the if the Kirby estate and Marvel are as on board as I think, I think that's going to be a significant push in a way that's going to be. I
1: really hope so. I really. Yeah, really I mean, hope I so. think that's... Uh, the, the fact that I feel that Marvel has in the last year celebrated Mick Anglo more than it celebrated Kirby. Hmm. Uh it's 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 genuinely sad, mm-hmm. and I don't mean that in the sense of like, well, fuck McAngelo, but it it's I feel that Kirby's contributions
0: really have been minimized. Yes, oh, I- I- extraordinarily. So to see that end, uh, I think is is incredibly heartening. Oh dear. So hey, yes. I, I
1: want to pivot from that to a mm-hmm. comic. Mm, yes. Uh, did you read the new Thor? Uh,
0: I did not. I have not. No how Uh, is it
1: it uh, i don't want to say it feels like a bait and switch but jeff it feels a bit like a bait and switch (laughs) (laughs) uh so the the first issue of the new thor is out this week um Mm -hmm. and it's jason Aaron and russell dotterman and from all the hype ahead of time and there was a lot of hype about this book yes this is a book that's like female thor female thor hey have you heard about thor it's a girl Female Thor. Thor's like, girl, that's okay.
0: Like, there's a lot of, of <laughs> Please you know. tell me that's an actual slogan, because that oh, would no, have been but, great. Oh, no, but it
1: should be. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, they really played that up. They really, really, it wasn't just like, here's a new series, you know, we've got a new Thor. It was very much, here's a new series, we've got a new Thor, it's a woman, and that's great. hmm Right? hmm And then you get the first issue, and the first issue is, with the exception of two pages, about old Thor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at the end, new Thor comes in and lifts up the hammer, which you knew she was going to do anyway
0: mm-hmm. the end right
1: uh it's It's amazing how much it, it, i i put me if anyone came into the series after that hype, being like, "I can't wait to read about this new Thor, it's great that there's a new character and it's a woman." They would come to this book and be like, "Oh, so it's really about the pain of old male Thor mm-hmm. and maybe that's not going to be the case going forward, but judging by this first issue. Holy shit! It really feels like a pain switch. Well, it it honestly feels like like <sighs> mansplaining pain, Thor, <laughs> than like exciting new Thor.
0: Oh man, mansplaining Thor—that would be gr- uh, it. Would be terrible. But I'm like, hopefully they'll just keep him around forever. Oh no, he he's being kept around. Oh really? It,
1: like, from this new series, it's very clear that old Thor is going to be shouldering at least half of this book.
0: Oh, interesting. Because it's about
1: how is he going to become worthy again? Like mm-hmm. that's the that's the majority of the first issue. Well, sure, Thor is not worthy. He's not worthy to lift the hammer. Neither is anyone else. Oh, how am I going to become worthy again? Here's my axe. I'm going to go off and become worthy. Mm-hmm. Last two pages. Oh look, I can lift the hammer. The mm-hmm. end. <laughs> I, it's it's. Here's the thing. If you're reading, if you've been reading Thor all the way up until now, mm-hmm. you'd be like, it's 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 a fine issue. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's okay. It's kind of terrible as a first issue, mm-hmm. uh, not just because they've advertised it as female Thor, and it's very much not, mm-hmm. but also, as a first issue, it pretty much relies on you having read the last Thor series and Original Sin.
0: Oh, yeah. right. Mm-hmm.
1: You know? And it's like, wow.
0: So yeah. you're literally just playing to the existing audience. You know, it's interesting because – well, so this is hard for me. I think that Jason Aaron is a super strong comic book writer for the most oh, part. He's, he's an incredibly good comic book writer. You know, and, and I think the majority of the stuff that I've seen him do work for hire-wise. He works very, very hard to not play the bait-and-switch game. You know what I mean? So do you think – is it possible that part of the problem is that, once again, Marvel overhyped or overfanned the flames of the situation? Or or uh, in the th- marketplace, it ended up overfanned such that people who walked into this, it would be sort of all but impossible to win that game without breaking with the... without betraying one's old readers, I think?
1: Uh, I think what it is, is Marvel... Saw the marketing hook for the series Mm -hmm. and ran with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, they really did, Mm -hmm. you know, we're announcing this on the view and then we're giving interviews where we're talking about how we are like, you know, the most forward thinking company and how it's all about diversity. Like they, they, this wasn't just like, there's a new thought. This was very much like, it's a woman, you guys. Right. Um, but I also think that they just completely, everyone involved in the book completely misjudged what that first issue should be based on that hype. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I don't... It's one of those things where no one's at fault and everyone's at fault.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, there, it's not it's not that someone made a big mistake. Mm-hmm. It's that lots of people just didn't quite... They weren't all on the same page. Right. But these small amounts to which they were off mm-hmm. have added up to this thing where the first issue does not feel like it... it 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 is what was sold. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? Because, again, this is not a bad comic. Mm-hmm. It's just that it's a comic that does not feel like the one that was advertised. I on, it honestly feels like the last issue of the previous series. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel like the second issue of the series is going to read like what the first
0: issue should have felt like based on the hype. Yes. Yeah that that makes a lot of sense to me. I just I'm a little it, not having read the the issue, I, part of me is just sort of very um well, I, I suppose I'm somewhat protective of Jason Aaron, but I also think that there's a, an element to which um I don't know, you know, it 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 if people were frustrated by the idea that Marvel promised something that it only delivered at the last two pages of the book. And you had to pick up the next issue in order to really get what you thought you were going to get. Like it would, the, the, the company itself would have died out around like mid 2004 or something. You know what (laughs) I mean? Like, I feel that that is
1: sure. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. um, Imagine that the, all the view stuff worked and you right. did bring in a new audience. Right. Right. Like, no, what right. I'm really interested mm-hmm. about is not how the regular comic audience reads this issue. Mm-hmm. Because it reads like a first issue of a Marvel comic. Right. Like it's that simple. Right. It's very continuity party mm-hmm. and the concept is brought in in the final two pages mm-hmm. because you're to buy the next issue. We're all used to that. Mm-hmm. What I'm super curious about is how newcomers. Mm-hmm. Would do it, especially because they've just paid $4 for it.
0: Right. Yeah. You I, know? Yeah.
1: That, that's the part where I'm. Because I, I do believe that this could have been a, a point, a book that could have brought people in the way it was hyped. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And I'm curious, A, whether that's true. We'll see from the sales. I'm sure it's going to be probably the number one book of the month. Sure. Um, but I'm also really curious to see. What happens to sales with issue five for example
0: oh yeah yes absolutely i I will be i'll be very curious to see how this is handled how the the turn in Captain America is handled I mean, I really feel that Marvel's got a lot Marvel has played a lot of cards out i think um that they may not, they may have just destroyed a lot of uh excuse me, a lot of customer, I don't know, goodwill. Like, part of me is like, eh, six. You know what I mean? Like, there's a way, I mean, and you're right. On the one hand, you have the new customers, but there's also old customers who are probably, like, trained by Marvel to, at the very least, wait for the trade, wait for the first trade or something like that and see if it's worth worth following up on, you know? Now,
1: did you happen to see the um, Peter David's uh blog post about the cancellation of X Factor. No I did not. He he very clearly places that on trade waiters. Oh really? Yes. Mm-hmm. He first of all <laughs> confirms that it's cancelled. Oh. Uh but then says basically like all I did was write a book that got really good critical notices. But these days all that means is that people are gonna buy the trade, but by the time the trade comes out the book's
0: cancelled. Right. Right. Yeah, I well uh, Yeah, no, that is the problem that the marketplace has been having. I, you know, this was the sort of this was a bell that that Brian Hibbs was ringing several years back with uh, with the the idea of trade waiters, and you know, it seems like in theory, both Marvel and DC are, in their various ways, trying to figure out. Ways to drive people into the shop to get them excited to pick up the book as it happens. Unfortunately, the majority of the ways in which they do that is with the absolute most shortest of short-term solutions. You know what I mean? You can have a big event, um, or you, where people in theory have to rash, rush out and see what the hell's happening. Or you have, or you have weekly comics where somebody like has to get to the shop every week. Um, you know to to keep keep abreast of the storyline, and both of those things only work for certain things like i think that i think that there is a, a certain level of mid list title uh that is really suffering um at d c and marvel both uh i would i'm tempted to say that d c sort of is starting to do a better job at shoring that up, but I don't think so i mean clearly just the way they launched with fifty two new titles meant that they you know, that they were more or less swamping the marketplace. There was no way that there, there was going to be a chance for any titles to actually, in a mid list range, to kind of have a long enough time to build an audience that would get them out of their hole. You know what I mean?
1: I'm very interested that you said that because so this week's DC Comp package was, was sizable. Oh, interesting. Um, well, because you get the first parts of the new Green Lantern crossover, which mm-hmm. I want to talk about in a bit. That's the new Gods one. Right. Uh, you got the first issue of Gotham Academy. Which is where I wanted to talk about after Lady Thor, so hopefully. Uh, but you also got the first issue of Lobo. Mm
2: hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, which is Colin Bunn and Riley Brown. hmm. And I've never been a fan of Lobo. hmm. You know, I, I, I appreciated the Alan Grant and Simon Bisley stuff mm-hmm. on a sort of like, it's 2000 AD, but longer and not as good. Uh, <laughs> sense. Right. But I've never really been a fan of Lobo. This, series, more than anything, felt that DC has finally worked out a way to make its mid-range books perfectly fine, for want of a better way of putting it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just in terms of quality, Mm -hmm. it feels so far above the new 52 launches. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, It feels like there's a direction. It feels like someone has actually thought about what the series is, as opposed to, you know, we just need to put a series out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's concept, there's direction. There's no real supporting cast, but a lobo book. I'm not really sure you need one, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it just feels a better Mm mid-range book than Mm -hmm. DC has really managed for a while. Mm -hmm. Even if entirely disinteresting to me, right? Do you know what I mean? But you like you get through it, and you're like, okay, that's completely fine. Good, good job, DC. That is a perfectly good mid-range book. But it did make me think. Yeah, I feel like DC is finally. It took them three years, but I think they're finally being like, oh, we should actually pay some attention to these mid range books and maybe we can get them to stick around. Never be massive hits, but also, you know, be manageable and have a reason to exist in and of themselves mm-hmm. as mid range books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think, I think that's, I hope that that's the case. It's good to hear. Um, certainly, I feel like there was a time where DC you know, as kind of the perennial in second place company ha- did do a pretty good job of like taking their B list books and making them relatively secure and yeah, interesting and, and secure books for, for want of a better term. It was kind of those things that, um you know, the fact that DC had a book like to me anyway, birds of prey, which was not, which was a book that I wasn't particularly interested in over the course of a very long run. But when I dipped into it, found that it was an incredibly solid book that had built an, inc- uh, you know, a very strong fan base. Yes, exactly. You know, I think I think that's uh, that's the sort of stuff that, um, you know, that those are things that I think that the certainly the the big two could use a little more of. You know, they're getting a certain number of like, well, we need, you know, they're always trying for the big hits. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me, depending on what kind of numbers they're expected to deliver, you know, uh, it's possible that there may be a, um, you know, that, that they will once again throw away that sort of solid B list approach. But Marvel's been doing some really strong work in their, in their B list as well. Yeah, no, Marvel's,
1: I would say Marvel's B-list has been much stronger than Marvel's A-list.
0: Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Oh, well, I, you know, I have to take your word for it, although I'm catching up on some of the Marvel Unlimited stuff, and, um, I don't know, I definitely felt like Marvel worked very hard to make sure their A-list was at least super cromulent, you know, to, to steal the Simpsons phrase. I don't, I just, um, but, but in a way that really didn't hold much interest for me, as, as much as what was going on in the B titles, where it really yeah. seemed.
1: No, like... no, I, I I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about that, did you read uh, Bucky Barnes: Colon the Winter Soldier?
0: No, I was temp- I was actually surprisingly tempted to pick it up. I mean, I oh, should oh, say yeah. surprisingly because of Alice you Scott, sh- but yeah,
1: yeah, you should you should read that book. Yeah, I'm not joking. I've read it four times, and I'm still not sure what I think about it. Really? Okay, yeah. it's. It's nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think to be super reductive about it, mm-hmm. I think it will appeal to you more than it will appeal to me because something like profit appeals to you more than it appeals to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is an impressively ambitious book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one that I'm kind of worried about already <laughs> <laughs> because I'm kind of like, Oh my God, I can't imagine, and this is totally me betraying the the my cynicism in in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. But I I can't even imagine how the majority of readers are going to respond to this book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's very much for me at least um, the 1970s heavy metal version of. Not even zero, but there mm-hmm. is like, there's zero in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a weird, trippy-ass book. Huh. With, 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 uh, Alish in particular having, gleefully having fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, like characters have names like Drock. <laughs> you know, so he's, he's, he's not even subtly shouting stuff out. Right. There's, there's na- characters who have names of bands.
2: hmm In mm-hmm. there.
1: Um. Super, like, Marco Rudy's art is super trippy. hmm And it's super, you know, 1970s painted fantasy art.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, and in the middle of this, you've got uh, Bucky being given the, you know, now you're defending Earth against weird shit. Right. While aliens are also like, well, you have angry thoughts, and angry thoughts are not allowed, so you will be upgraded.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, what is this book? What, what? I I literally have no idea. What is this book? Well, that's interesting because actually, that second part, uh, you have angry thoughts and you will be upgraded, is pretty much. I, I want to say when Starlin stepped in and and gave Captain Marvel the cosmic awareness. You know that mm-hmm. that was that idea of like. You know, sort of like, well, you're good, but you're limited essentially by your warlike nature. You have to see the the larger side of things, you know.
1: So yeah. I think that's but
0: – But at the same time, so that scene then leads on to uh,
1: – like that does not happen because the people are going to upgrade him. Get shot by, by Daisy, uh-huh. by his sidekick. Uh-huh. You know, so it's, it's this weird, I don't know, it's, it's, you, you should read it. I think mm-hmm. you really, really, really get a lot out of it. But like I said, I read it four times each time, each time I had a very different experience,
0: but each right. time I finished I'd be like, I don't even know what the fuck this is. <laughs> well, uh, I will check it out, and the next time we talk, uh, I will be like, Jesus Christ. Um on the uh, I should read books that you recommend uh, and then tell you about them, I have to say I I picked up the first issue of the Death Defying Dr. Mirage. Oh, shit. I should go back and put that in my photo post. Which store did I buy that at? Do you remember? Uh, you got Death Defying Dr. Mirage at Excalibur. I think I did. Too. Okay. That makes sense. So I got to go back and along with those other star brand issues. God help me. And uh, the Death Defying Dr. Mirage uh, issue one, a Valiant comic by Jen Van Meteor and Roberto De La Torre and I guess colored by David Barron. Really uh, an enjoyable read, I have to it's say. It's great,
1: right? And very un mm-hmm. Or, ish Or am I the only one who feels that? Did you not think that?
0: Oh, I, I... Yeah, no. I mean, I haven't been following Valiant stuff through their second wave, but honestly this first issue reminded me of a really good vertigo book from like the mid nineties kind of, you know, where someone is like, okay, I've got a character revival, you know, but I can basically take it wherever the heck I want. I have my own interests, but I also, you know, but there is also kind of that vertigo kind of occulty wheelhouse that I have to fit into. Um, and so it's a it's a really good read. It was kind. Of, I was very much like, Oh yeah, this is kinda of like reading really good Peter Milligan from like nineteen ninety four or something like that. Yeah. I, yeah. You know? Yeah. So uh it it's it's the it is the best Vertigo book that I've read in sometimes. I don't necessarily know where it's it's where it is going to go, but I, I'm very impressed at how I read the book and uh, for those who are kind of curious as to what it's about, um, Dr. Mirage, is her name Shen? Why did I, why can't I find it?
1: I think her name is Shan is her name.
0: Shan, right. She uh, is the um, wife of the original uh, Lee Li, Li Huen Mirage who is dead by the time of this first issue. And she has the occult powers of being able to see and communicate with the dead. And yet, over the number of years that her husband has vanished, has has, uh, been dead, she's never been able to contact him. Um, And in the course of this issue, she ends up, because she's sort of a a psychic for hire, she ends up getting involved with someone who wants her uh, occult help on um, this very messy decades-long problem, and she sees in it the chance to actually find out what happened to her husband. It's just really, one of the things that very impressed me was how economically it sets up, not just the character, but all of the character's tools, I guess, you know, as um, a lot of mystical heroes, there's a real problem of like, let me pull out the blablometer, the mystic wand that gives me control, you know. yeah. Let me stop the story to
1: explain to you what I'm doing.
0: Yes. And one of the things that's really great is although the story is not like, you know, a super fast paced monster, it does, it moves at the perfect clip for the story that it's telling. And it gives you a lot of stuff with just enough explanation for you to grok it. I mean, it doesn't even really feel like explanation because honestly, it's done in that awesome way of like, oh, I really want to know more about that. The fact that that she has such a specific personalized relationship with her house you know, um, in, in a way that's very diff you know, that is very similar to the way that Doctor Strange, for example, is always talking about his mansion and putting portals around the mansion and, oh, I've got to seal up my Sanctum Centorum or whatever. But, you know, but it's just an object. There is a very lovely sense that the that, that Doctor Mirage in this book has relationships with things, you know, that it's very much about negotiating through a realm of very, very strange but somehow familiar relationships makes it a, an incredibly appealing book. I have to say I really enjoyed it a ton.
1: Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's a very, very good book. And we have continually on this podcast mm-hmm. talked about how much we like Valiant in mm-hmm. general and how, how Valiant is generally doing the shared universe and the the... the modern day superhero thing right yeah uh, to be like fairly reductive but but it is it it's it's doing it's making a lot of smart decisions, yes yeah uh, and re- really minimizing its its bad decisions
0: and I have to say that um uh, although this may make Graham's eyes roll so hard they bob out of his head I Believe in that so strongly that I actually coughed up money for the Humble Bundle Valiant sale, even though I have a lot of, I didn't have a lot of, but there was a good chunk of those books that I had picked up through a lot of comixology sales, you know, bits and pieces here and there. Um, if my eyes are rolling, it's not For the Humble Bundle, which is always for charity, it's for you buying things you already own. See, and that's what I was should have clarified, is that would be why you would roll your eyes. Because I do (laughs) own a lot of that stuff. And believe me, if I could now turn around and re-gift comiXology issues, uh, you people would be in for a treat. But I really was impressed. I was, when they first announced that Humble Bundle, like the list, I was like, wow, there is a surprisingly high number of, of non-stinker great books. It. Yeah, really, really good books. Even at the most minimal buy-in, if you were the sort of person that's only going to, like, pay $4, which is just absurd to me, you would have gotten a handful of really, really great books. Like, a significant number. So, you know, hopefully... Hopefully you did
1: that. While we're talking about Humble Bundles right
0: now, have you
1: seen the Oni Press Humble Bundle?
0: Yes, I did. It's
1: astoundingly good. Do you think so? Hmm. Oh, there's great stuff in there.
0: Uh, Let me see. Let me look. I think I'm going to go and criticize it. Has
1: it not got like the Scott Pilgrims and it's got Downset Fight and it's got all that stuff in there?
0: It's Okay, it's for $15 or more, you can get two of the Scott Pilgrim Novels. Uh, the first volume is Stumptown and Brian Lee O'Malley's uh, Lost at Sea. For 11 bucks, uh or more, you can get four issues of Courtney Crumren, Capote in Kansas, Diesel Sweeties Volume 1, Helheim Volume 1, Mega Go-Go Volume 1, Downset Fight, four issues of The Bunker, more issues to come soon. And at whatever level you give... You get six issues of The Six Gun, the first volume of Buzz, six issues of Letter Forty Four, the first volume of Bad Machinery, which Graham loved. Sketch Monsters Volume One, I I Was the Cat number one and The O'Tour number one.
1: Yeah, I I think that's a really great selection of comics.
0: You disagree? Mm Uh, I think there's some pretty good comics there. There's some really good comics in there. I just feel like if you, if you jump back and look at the humble bundle for Valiant, though, I mean, it, it, I feel that, I feel that what Oni's doing, and it makes sense to me that it's, you know, that it's a, How do I put it? It's a choice. They're, what they're choosing to do is sell you a very big ass sampler set with a, with a wide variety of stuff that doesn't necessarily go especially deep. You know what I mean? Now, it could be that when, um, one of the things that I really liked about the Valiant Cell is when it came time to unlock more comics, which they usually do in the last week of the sale, they basically threw in volume three of their trades Mm -hmm. for the titles that they basically offered the first two volumes for. Yeah. You know? And so, uh, so just for me in particular, I know there's some books in there that you like a lot, but there's a way in which part of me is like, really just the first issue of I was the cat, which, you know, which I believe I paid 99 cents for, you know there's a certain level of me being uh, you know uh, for somebody ridiculously enough who spends a lot of money re- rebuying his books i can be kind of a, a penny pincher about it but there's a way in which i'm like considering the six gun is on issue 36 or whatever i'm like you know what give us like one or give us like two volumes you know and maybe they maybe they will but i at least on the heels of valiant where i was like for something like $25 cuz that's why I chose to pay. The the at the minimum for 15 bucks, you literally got something like 90 issues of comics. You know, it was it was pretty hard not to be really wowed by. So, so this is probably this is probably really good for people who are not weird like me, but I myself I was kind of like eh. Only the first volume, Stumptown? Really? When you've got a new volume out, it'd be a good way to promote it? Me, eh, You know, so... But that's just me. They've got a very different way of doing things. Um, you know, Valiant was clearly looking at it as a... You know, they gave away a free comic every day of, of their sale. So it was very much a, like, try... We're really aggressively making sure that you try us out. And I think Oni, perhaps because it's... There's a lot of different individuals and creators here isn't quite able to do that. Like, yeah, just, you know, back up, back up your, your, your hard drive, you know, because here comes the back issue truck, you know,
1: <laughs> back so. up your hard drive because here comes the back issue truck. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I-, I think
1: that should be a slogan. Never yeah, <laughs> mind anything else, Jeff. There's a slogan right there.
0: Thank you, Graham. Thank you. Perhaps- okay, I,
1: I'm going to put um, our money where your mouth is, Jeff. Okay. Uh, you and I, pre-recording, yes. were talking about the fact that I had a volume of Harley Quinn, Volume 1. That's correct. The, the DC hardcover. Yes. I also have hardcovers uh, of the first i think it's the first 10 issues of harbinger and their first 10 issues of exo manowar yes wow okay um who wants them
0: yes this sounds great Is uh, what i'm asking right um so
1: we have not planned this at all
0: that is true as I'm you will now gather impressed. by the fact
1: that jeff and i have absolutely no idea what we're about to do <laughs> uh we should come up with some way to give them away
0: yes absolutely um do you, do you want it to be a mail-in thing? Should it be a question that they answer? Um, that would involve us knowing what the question would be, Jeff. Yeah, I know. And I know. Neither,
1: of us, neither of us do know that.
0: Right. Well, I will say that I'm happy on my end to also throw in uh, King Cat Comics and Stories number 74 and the first issue of the new Stumptown by Greg Rucka and Justin Greenwood. So that's five prizes, right? Do I have that right? Uh, sure. So, yes, it is. let's have people submit a list of five things that we, and oh, then,
1: no, you, you know, know what they're going to do? Yes. People, you're going to email in song titles from Jeff's fictitious <laughs> <laughs> R&B album. That's right.
0: That's right. And it, the funniest ones, the ones that make Jeff and I laugh the most. That's right. Yes. So can you feel the feeling that I'm feeling? My my forgotten masterpiece from the early nineties of, you know, in in sort of one would say R and B, but I prefer to think of it as soft loving. Uh will we, we know the two songs yes. are, are have titles. Uh rapping Rapping Intermission.
1: Rapping Intermission. And um. Your chicken and tomatoes. I just
0: wanted to hear you say it out loud. I knew what it was, but yes, and your chicken and tomatoes. So, uh, so those are two
1: of the tracks. How many tracks were on this album, Jeff?
0: Oh, there were t- there were twelve tracks.
1: Okay, twelve tracks, mm-hmm. which means you have ten more chances mm-hmm. to make Jeff and I laugh mm-hmm. and tell us what Jeff's tracks on his 1993 album, yeah, were called. That's right. Tell, tell us that winners get trade paperbacks um so yeah, and, so let's yeah. let's say again what well, is available and could you please tell us or do we want them to tell us our first and second choices, or do we just do they just get whatever we send them
0: i I think I think it's a get whatever you send i I think I want to say that like maybe we can have like th- three grand prizes and then two runner-ups and the runner-ups being my my individual issues. What do you think? Okay,
1: so the, uh, so what is on offer then is um Harley Quinn volume 1 called Hot in the City. Uh which is still in its plastic bag, readers. Wow. I've nice. not even opened it up. because mm-hmm. Cuz I've read the issues. Um there's also the Harbinger volume 1, sorry, Harbinger deluxe edition volume 1. Nice. Which is a hardcover with the first 10 issues. And first uh, 10 issues, did you say? Yeah, let me let Holy me actually shit. go and check. Okay. Let us, what is in this book? It might Mm -hmm. be more than 10 issues. Um, Harbinger is, oh no, I'm lying. It's issues 0 to 14. Good crap. That's a huge trade. Oh my god. That goes all the way. From uh, issue 1 through issue 0, which of course comes after issue 10 because <laughs> comic math, uh, and then all the way to issue 14, which is the end of the Harbinger Wars storyline. Wow. Uh, and there is also the Exo Man of War deluxe edition hardcover, mm-hmm. which is how many issues is in this? Again, issues 1 through 14.
0: Amazing. 0 through 14, you mean? So uh, that- I don't think there is a 0. I think it's just issue 1 through 14. Okay, great. Fabulous. Okay, and then that's that's our first place tier and then the second place winners get a copy of King Cat Comics and Stories number 74 and uh the other prize Stump Town uh I guess it's like volume 3 I suppose issue it 1 It is it's, it's volume 3 issue 1. Yeah, by Greg Rucka and Justin Greenwood. So in other words it's the one that just came out, people. Yes. Yeah, although I I like I said somehow I picked it up twice. So I mean it's got to be like Two weeks old by this point? Yeah, but within the last month. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. It's, it's no stinky fish. Um, so, yeah, people. <laughs> it <laughs> is no stinky fish.
1: That's tra- uh, that,
0: that is, that was track 12. Yeah, exactly. So you people have <laughs> one no, less was that, track. I thought,
1: that was, I thought that was the hidden track.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry. The, that is the hidden track. You're right. Sorry. I, it's because I appended it at the end of track 12. So it's like track 12, and then there's a long. Long, long silence, and then that kicks in. So, yeah. You, you, you know can use I'm that. Gonna th-
1: th- I'm gonna throw another one in, cause it's on the bookshelf right beside the uh, Valiant ones. Oh if God.
0: anyone wants the um, paperback collection of Trillium by Jeff Lemire. Wow! As well. Nice. Okay, we're gonna throw that in there, uh, in the, in the first place. People, this is, this, I don't, I don't know what's happened to Graham McMillan, but I am liking it, I have to say. <laughs> So now, um, we want to be super mean
1: and say that you have to be a Patreon subscriber to do this. Uh, no, very <laughs> tempting, but that yeah. is mean.
0: Yeah, that is mean. No, this is that, this that is time, open to all.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Next time we might uh do something that's just for the Patreon people.
0: I'm I'm thinking. I'm very very grateful to our our Patreon supporters, and so I think that I would. By the end of the year, one way or the other, we will have at least one giveaway that's specifically just for those fine individuals who are doing an amazing job of, of keeping you and I fired up and recording podcasts. So, cause I mean, really, honestly, we've been recording, we have, we haven't missed an episode yet. Um, it's it's amazing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> kind, it is, kind it is like
0: terrifying. So uh Graham, let's jump back if you don't mind from this no, let's
1: let, let's jump back
0: there. To comics. Um I was really curious. You were talking about Lady Thor. Um I assume, I hope, my fingers are crossed, you think you mentioned it. You got the first issue of Gotham Academy, so I assume read I did. I what, did. What did you
1: think? I loved it, Jeff Lester. Mm. But here's my, here's my asterisk. Mm-hmm. It took me two attempts to read it. Really? Why is that? Yeah. I got like three pages in the first time and was mm-hmm. just not in the mood and found it something I just did not want to read. I got mm. to the fourth and fifth page, the double page spread with them walking across the school. Yes. And my, I was just like, I am not in the mood to read this comic and mm-hmm. just put it down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then when I came back and I was in the mood, I loved it. Interesting. Interesting. I
0: You didn't. I can tell. I just <laughs> hear it in your voice. You know what? I I wish I wish I could here's the thing. I think that it was Well there's okay, there's a number of factors. One one thing to keep in mind, which also maybe this will be an important digression or not, but You uh, hate children. Well, Who doesn't? Uh, Yesterday, um, Edie and I were getting ready to have lunch. And she was like, could I ask a favor? Because we're just going to sit and, you know, rap. Uh, A little freestyling rap, if you know. She beatboxes. I drop a few, you know. Anyway, and wait,
1: she, so not, neither of you are rapping. She's beatboxing, and you're dropping a few beats, but no one's rapping. No, I was your... going to drop
0: drop some science, is what I was going to say. Oh, I, oh, then I, I realized I dropped a few. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. So, yeah. but uh, as we do, and she was kind of like, "Would you mind if we watched Gotham?" She really wanted to watch Gotham. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, she really did. She really did. My wife, bless her heart, does have a weak spot for Batman. Uh, based on the Tim Burton movie and reading The Dark Knight Returns back when she was in college. Pretty much back when it was coming out, people. That's how old we are. And she was like, huh, I know huh i shouldn't but i kind of want to and she was really I, apologetic and i'm like I know
1: I know should. that's because she's married to you i can only imagine the stink eye you threw her when she said she wants to watch golf.
0: see that's the thing part of me was like am i really going to raise that much of a fuss about the idea of us eating lunch and watching a tv show about batman together really i'm sure you are oh my god what kind of a monster do you think that I am, Graham McMillan?
3: I, uh,
1: I sort of monster that when I said no, I don't think it's doing Batman Year One, you
0: got upset. Yeah, that's the kind of monster that I am. Well, I have to say, I watched the first episode, and it may be pretty hard to work Batman Year One in there—that is for sure. But holy cow, that show, Graham McMillan! I have to say, I there were parts where I laughed until I cried. Oh, it's uh, it's, the, it's the
1: scene with um Barbara and montoya right yes that's it yes yeah i told you i don't see oh, so tell me oh i forgot it was the part. i really did i told you it's the part where she's like does he know you pause like i know you Wait, yes can't, can't. and i threw ourselves on the floor laughing oh i died i died i have to t- i have to tell you i talked to the actress who plays barbara keen mm-hmm. this week She's the nicest, sweetest person oh, she's in the be world. The nicest person. She's got to like, be nice. The ni- also amazingly Welsh.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Amazing, like the thickest uh, Welsh accent. Uh, like you would not believe, especially if you've seen that show. Like I honestly was like, "Are you sure I'm talking to the same person?" Right. Because this doesn't sound like the same person. Oh man! Um, but this is, this is how nice she is. We talked for ten minutes to do the proper interview, mm-hmm. and then we talked for another ten minutes after that about Scottish independence and growing up in Wales.
0: Wow. That must have been a great conversation. She,
1: she was lovely. Honestly, it was one of those things where at the end, I was kind of tempted to be like, yeah, I talk to you later. Because it felt like I was talking to a friend and not someone, you know, who's in a TV show that I'm
0: interviewing. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, yes. I'm going to be very careful because for those people who may remember, Graham McMillan is reviewing Gotham. Um, yes. Also, I-, I am at Hollywood Reporter. I, yeah.
1: And I actually like it. Mm-hmm. I know you don't, but I do.
0: I-, I that is not fair. That is not fair. First off, for those people who don't necessarily know why we're laughing about that joke with Renee Montoya talking to Barbara, it does help if you understand that the word pause means stare pointedly in the direction oh, yeah. Yeah. of Barbara's it's, it's, vagina. Like, it it's, is...
1: It's an astounding... Yeah, it's the, the the bit after the pause, which goes like I do, was the most unnecessary line of dialogue yeah. that has ever been uttered on film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was... Because the entire scene before that is not even vaguely subtle with the, you know, we used to fuck subtext.
0: Yes. But that's the thing that I think is really interesting about Gotham, to me, was about the fifth time that james gordon introduced himself to people i really no! wasn't like is this his you, special power did you, like introducing did you himself?" you see did you see what i wrote for
1: the hollywood reporter
0: no i didn't
1: that that's that's my joke at the start of the review oh really <laughs> like if you learn if you learned one thing from the uh, pilot episode is that his name is james gordon because <laughs> every single scene he's like jim gordon or someone else would say it yeah someone and every scene would make sure that you knew his name was jim gordon yeah and so, also if it's all possible that he was new there And that he was a morally upright man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, almost
1: every single scene he appears in.
0: I, so my history with Gotham, the TV show was look at it, kind of roll my eyes. Like, uh, what's the point? Then at some point I was like, Oh, Bruno Heller's involved. Bruno Heller. I have conveniently forgotten did 16 seasons of the mentalist. Uh, (laughs)
1: <laughs> but <laughs> everyone has forgotten the done 60s. Oh yeah, I'm exactly. Sure he has too. Oh,
0: I'm sure he would like to, but, um, and, and he also did Rome for HBO, which I quite liked, not flawless, but in terms of like, we know what you want to see. Here's how we're going to give it to you. We know, uh, you know, enough about Roman culture. That's really interesting that it's like, we're going, we're, we're, we're going to draw really obvious parallels between today and, then yeah. and 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 make it incredibly enjoyable um i was like oh okay this might be the sort of person that i would like to see try their hand at a batman story or i should say a non-batman or pre-batman story um
1: yeah. batman without batman
0: yeah batman without batman oh i thought was. i have to ask
1: now that you've seen the pilot yes barbara's totally going to become batwoman right
0: That was actually the way I thought of it too, was that idea of like, oh, there's, here you've got- That's
1: how you get around it.
0: Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, As long as
1: I'm not alone in that, I actually told her that and she just laughed. Like, (laughs) not even like, I can't tell you, but just like, outright. Right. Killed
0: herself laughing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm sure. Uh, because I thought that parallel was, that really, that really did stick out. Uh, so, I guess what struck me was really, Well, on the one hand, I thought the show itself looked
1: lovely and is...
0: it's beautiful, which is one of the reasons why
1: I was so in favor of it after the pilot. Spoilers, that does not continue in the second episode.
0: Uh, I kind of sort of half thought, like, they're not going to be able to continue this, you know, because there are shots that just... Just just a gorgeous, like, all the money sort of, like, right up on screen, as they say. Like, the sets look deep. There's a ton of locations. But also the way they sort of take that um, Christopher Nolan approach to Gotham of making it, like, every city at once all jammed together. To the point where the some of the opening sequences, like, really had almost more of a Blade Runner feel to them than anything that you might see pop up, that popped up in, in the the Nolan movies. Yeah. Um, and gorgeous looking. And I think very, very well cast, too. Um, a lot of the people, for the most part, I thought a lot of the people that are supposed to be like, oh, keep your eye open on this guy. Like, even when it's completely obvious, like the guy playing Oswald Cob- Cobblepot, I thought, did a perfectly fine job. Oh, I actually, I, I, I really like him. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. He was, he was really, really good. And Jada Pinkett Smith, far better. This is the most I've enjoyed her in a long time, probably because she's much more enjoyable playing a nasty character than the, than a self-righteous character, which is what I feel Mm. like I've been trapped seeing her in.
1: Also, she has the wonderful, when we're watching the pilot, Kate goes, she really likes hitting people with things. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, she does that a lot in the pilot, but the best part is after she beats, uh, Cobblepot, she straightens her wig, Mm -hmm. which I love. It's such a small thing, but I was like, I love that bit in particular.
0: Yeah. That, that straightening of the wig was lovely. Um, I, I thought the fact that she basically, when she's getting ready to punish him, she makes him get down and rub his, rub her feet, I thought was just, uh, well handled, but like, oh man, first I, so the comic nerd in me the the bat nerd in me is just like what like wow they really raided the shit out of um out of Gotham Central and really just about any oh, everything yeah everything, everything. and they're Every like what,
1: what could we steal from yeah. just lift wholesale but also lifted off that we've kind of fucked up the idea that we're going to do something. Like yeah. Sarah Essen's in the series, but she's uh the captain. Mmm. Interesting. Which I don't I, I don't even think she gets a name until the second episode. But yeah, then, I didn't notice her in then the the second episode, I was like, that's Sarah Essen?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see where things go. But there's clearly if nothing else, there's that uh, that thing of like <laughs> just just having Montoya and Bullock be in the department in the positions that they're in they're like yeah there's there's no way that this actually plays out you know what i mean like there's just it makes sense they're basically crafting a whole series they had to figure out like contemporaries of Jim Gordon from this time where he's undergoing his troubles uh and Bullock made a certain amount of sense but the more and more people they introduced the more it was unlikely that it was ever going to Kind of work out, you know, which
1: I kind of love. I kind of love the idea that they're just going to use all the elements and not lead—pardon me, not lead up to Batman.
0: Right, like uh, hopefully, sort of the 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 same way they. Although they did this in Smallville, where they ended with Clark getting the Superman outfit. They, of course... Sure,
1: but you did use up every bad guy in the world up y- yeah. to that point. Yeah, they had just... They're like, I matters. know he's not going to deal with anyone, because <laughs> all of the bad guys are dead. We've done them over the last ten years. Um, no, but you know what I mean? There really is an element of, I would love if Gotham basically did Batman without Batman. right? And... We're like, okay, here's all the bad guys you want. Whatever. There's still
0: no Batman yet. Right. And in fact, I kind of was surprised by the number, like, just the fact that they threw so many people at us. I was kind of like, like, Cobblepot, I would have been perfectly happy if, like, the number of recognizable supervillains really hadn't gone beyond Oswald Cobblepot you know? If oh they, yeah. 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 Cause you when know, you get to like,
1: Oh look, there's poison heavy. There's the Riddler. You're kind of like, I get it. You guys seriously, yeah.
0: seriously, you, you can slow down. Yeah. There's yeah. yeah. I bad guys in this episode. Yeah, exactly. To, to say nothing of, of an unnamed Joker there, you know, um, amusing fish. So I, I think, yeah, it, it, but, but it is, it was, it was highly watchable, but also there was a feeling, I have to admit that I, it had very clearly that I felt that Gotham Academy lacked like Gotham Academy is by far the better crafted piece, at least based on the first issue, you know? Um, and yet while reading Gotham Academy, by the time I got to the end of it, I had some pretty haunting. Why is this sort of, why does this book exist? Kind of like, Particularly, why does this book exist in the Batman universe, you know, and it maybe there will be like a better later answer there. But all of the stuff that it was setting up, which is very uh, looked fantastic and I thought was relatively sophisticated in a in its sort of like, yeah, we here's here's, you know, all the things that could appeal to a certain type of reader. Uh, done in a way that they are absolutely one hundred percent appealing. With, I think, for me, the big, the big if of, again, wh- I just, I felt like, I felt like the Batman elements on it were kind of, felt kind of clumsily sutured on, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, I,
1: can, I can see that. I, I that didn't bother me so much Mm -hmm. uh, in part because the book for me was so enjoyable. If uh, cynically targeted Mm -hmm. at an existing audience, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, But it was, it was a very enjoyable book Mm -hmm. and I didn't really have a, why is this part of the Batman universe? Because I was still in cynical mode and I was, this is part of the Batman universe because that will sell it.
0: Yes. And, and I, I agree with you. I mean, that's clearly the reason. And yet you, you, you also see my point like you got to have something that's a little more there than that and i imagine that they will get to that point clearly because they have you know the strong cameo of like uh, bruce wayne but oh sure and they also have the whatever is wrong with all
1: of is batman related yes like the, the the massively telegraphed reveal yeah
0: yeah yeah, yeah. yes
1: but it, uh, no, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was exactly what it was supposed to be, mm-hmm. and a, and a good example of that. It's just that what that was supposed to be was, uh, it does feel like it was. Why don't we do a Harry Potter, Gryffindor type thing, right. with the Batman iconography?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I think that there's a way in which. Like, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, that's such a slam dunk that picking up this book, I'm like, looks, art looks great. It's well written. It's clear that there's a lot of thought to it. And yet at the same time, that was the one part that I was like, oh, maybe by the time we get to the end of the first arc, there will be a, I'll have a better sense of like, oh, right. Okay. This, this makes sense. But it kind of didn't. You know, like, um, like by contrast, at least at least super briefly, one of the things that I really appreciated about the third issue of Grayson is there's a point where a character talks about how she came from just outside of Smallville, you know?
1: Yeah, I I really, really enjoyed that part as well.
0: Yeah. Where, where the it's not it really
1: is enough of an Easter egg. They're like, oh, Smallville, and there's the the punchline. Mm-hmm. But if you know no, know nothing about Smallville, you can still read it. It reads differently, right? But it works for the character.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, what she's saying about is her small, middle of nowhere existence. Um, you know. Basically,
1: no one special ever came from where I came from.
0: Yeah, exactly, and it's exact. And one of the things that I think is really such a good point uh, in the issue is it kind of leads you into how that character's use of guns, how the entire issue revolves around the use of guns. Part of what perhaps powers the reliance on guns is exactly that sort of kind of casual, super casual nihilism. You know what I mean? You know, there is a, that she's very specifically like, oh, yeah, you guys with in the big city with your superheroes, maybe you guys don't need guns, but we need guns. We grew up around guns and they're necessary. And by the end of the issue, of course, everyone who feels that way about guns has pretty much been shot and killed, you know? Um, yeah, it, it's it's a, a again another really strong issue. Oh my god, yes! I, I mean, and a book, a book that just
1: continues to be much better than it should be.
0: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like it is, it's not a, um, it's still not perfect. There are like one or two points where th- they they kind of overly force things, especially in the dialogue. But
1: I well, let's be honest. The take page is oh
0: so glorious, both funny, uh,
1: but yeah, but also amazingly gratuitous. I mean, like, at that point, it's almost, I don't know, there's something almost obnoxious about how gratuitous it is.
0: Yeah, it's, it, I, how do I put it? It, it is kind of gratuitous, but I also had a little bit of, um, oh, I mean, hmm. Yes, I mean, the thing is, is I was so knocked out by the first two pages, like, you know, cause the first two pages are, in their way they're they're pretty spirity, don't you think you know I mean, considering you have a a person you're you're seeing it through what looks like a person's point of view, and then you know and you, basically you're like, "Oh, that looks like it's the point of view of the gun," and then literally on the next page you discover. That it, it is, is the point of it is literally the point of view. It is the point of view of the gun. Yeah, it's this is this story is literally about somebody who has to who sees things from the gun's point of view, and that's and that's what you're seeing. But then in the on the second page, just your very traditional, um, you know, slideshow exposition, which goes very quickly through the page. The, the slideshow, click, 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 pays off to the bang at the bottom yes. of the page, which is the transition to the next scene of the two characters talking while shooting. Um, that's just really exquisite, you know, in a very fast-moving kind of formal kind of sense. You know what I mean? Like, Oh,
1: yeah. Formally, this series continues to impress. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's – well, Tom King definitely scripted this and the Future's End issue. Mm-hmm. And he, he's deliberately credited as script for both those, whereas I think before he and, uh, I can't remember the other, Tim Seeley yes. were credited as co-writers, I think. Yes, although this one, I should say this one, King is credited as script, or same with the Future's End. Yes. Uh, and so I'm wondering if King is more of the
0: formalist. Right. But his, his formal play is really, really impressive. Yeah. Definitely. I just wanted to point out, and I'm sorry to interrupt. I should have held my tongue, uh, that the plotting in both Futures End and this issue is attributed to both writers. So script is, Tom, writer, it, Tom King is listed as the writer, but the plot is by Tim Seeley and Tom King in both this issue and the Futures End issue. So, which makes me, so I'm part of like undecided. Part of me is like, oh, maybe they're just both formal, you know, like, like in having two guys talk it out allows for a lot more layering of bouncing ideas off each other that leads to a really deeper form, you know, a, a much more formalistic style of telling. But, but it is, it's, Graham, it's an impressive book. I have to say, I really am enjoying reading it tremendously. And who knew, right? Like, do you know, remember yeah. when this is, was, everyone was like, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, oh, really? This is going to be the book? And it's it has just turned out to be a very, very impressive book. Right. Well, and in in a way. Yeah. Incredibly impressive. And I hope more people are picking it up and really getting a sense of, you know, because I it, the only complaint that I had about the, the Dick page was that it seemed like it, it it seemed to play into what everyone's expectations of the book are based on some of the early advertising and stuff, you know? So it's kind of like, oh, it's a really easy talking point. Who knows? Maybe that will get more people to pick up the issue, at least in the sort of, here's a way to be sort of Mark Millery audacious, hey, look at me, without having to, while going a completely different route for the rest of yeah. the book and the storytelling. But Well, that's just it.
1: It feels so gratuitous compared with how subtle the rest of the book is. Yeah. yeah Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you don't have to be that obvious. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm kind of offended you are being that obvious. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's, you know, it's very funny. Yes. You know, pat, pat, very hilarious, but given how subtle the rest of the issue is, mm-hmm. it it really is just a jarring note. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also not only does it play into the expectations of what people thought about when the book started, mm-hmm. it's also a great thing to share and be like, "Look, it's just what we thought. Right, and see, when that's my every, problem. But everything exactly. else mm-hmm. in the book is not like that.
0: Yeah, where everything else in the book is... And I mean, we say subtle. It's subtle for superhero comics, don't get me wrong. It's, this not, is, it's not. Yeah, but you know what I mean, It's right? not. Yeah. I mean,
1: it is astoundingly unsubtle. Yeah. Astoundingly. Yeah. Do you also...
0: mean? Yes. Wait, why do you think it's subtle? I, I, am not going to, yeah, why? I'm, ju- I'm just saying, no, 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 no. Let's back up. I, I don't think the issue is especially subtle. I think the oh, issue Oh, no, no, is... sorry.
1: Yeah, the issue is subtle for superhero
0: comics. Yes, exactly. That's what I mean. Sorry, I, I, I just want to make sure we're putting people on the same page. Like, I don't want I people, were... yeah, no, no, no. I thought no. you were saying the page was subtle for superhero comics. <laughs> <Batman. laughs> no, 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 I was like, no. Then, no! <laughs> exactly. You're like, what's subtle? I'm like, Graham, it's clear she's doing it in the butt. Hello? No, I, that's not. <laughs> And like I also when having sex she just likes to identify body parts. Yeah, right, exactly. You know, I just like there's everything that's goofy about that scene. It's it's absurdly over the top. It's frustrating in a way, but the rest of the book is so damn good. Seriously, people, I know if you if you are still haven't picked up the issues based on our recommendations, you've got to think that we're crazy, but try out Grayson, uh Future's End and issue 3 both Tremendous. I need to reread. I know I picked up the first two issues, but I don't. He, but here's the thing. That's why I was pointing out that
1: Tim King, uh mm-hmm. Tom, Tom King, mm-hmm. is, um, is credited as the script for this issue and the last issue, mm-hmm. and was only credited as a co writer before, because I think the last two issues have been more impressive. Right. Right. I think first two issues are good, mm-hmm. like really solidly good, mm-hmm. but I think the last two issues have been better. Yeah. And I'm wondering if it's because. King is coming more to the fore and has a more formal interest in formal play. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. Is, that is making it a more complex book, right? Or whether it's just you know they're like, hey, let's just play around. The one thing that did make me think uh with this book is this is just you should say it feels like a very limited concept. Mm-hmm. If or or it's heading towards some sort of reinvention super quickly. Yeah. Because based, based on the end of this issue, mm-hmm. I can't believe this status quo is going to be around
0: the time next year. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It seems very unlikely. Now, on the one hand, part of me is like I, I think it's a very smart choice in that you only – this is around the time that books can get complacent and sort of start to die, you know, where you're kind of like, okay, you set up the status quo, what's next? I think it's interesting that they are, like, yeah, pointing toward we're going to upend the status quo or the status quo cannot stay the same. Um, but on issue three, Jeff. But on issue – no, I know, I know, exactly. Uh, I, I think that that – I mean, remember when books would take six issues to
1: reveal the status quo?
0: Oh, yeah, but I think I, – I also think those books were – we're feeling a little too flabby i think i i'm quite curious to see where it goes it does seem to me like i can't necessarily second guess where where you're gonna go with something i mean where do you go when you've got like a spy caper with spies within spies you know what i mean like i uh, it's going well, it, it points I, yes mm-hmm. yeah
1: i think it's going to end up with basically making spiral over into a better,
0: like into a quote unquote better spy organization. Right. Exactly. That certainly seems to be the case. Right. Um, so that seems to be the tradition where it goes is like, Oh, okay. Then he's sort of, you know, Dick Grayson, director of shield. However, did you get, did you, for me, this, and admittedly, this is just me like being kind of weird. Um, but you know you've admitted the dark side war you've admitted <laughs> like that something that you cooked up that you uh, yeah i I've, I've admitted yeah. the
1: dark side war me and, is, me and dark side you planning. and dark
0: side you're planning the dark side war i there were one or two pictures of the spiral logo where i was like is that supposed to be a boom tube so oh okay. i th-
1: I, th- I think i think you're reaching
0: okay we'll see i kind of wonder if part of the reason why it's moving really super speedily is is that there may be that there may be some, some dark side dark side war connected stuff. So that the strat status quo is going to look incredibly weird like a year down the road. But we'll see. That'd
1: be hilarious, but I don't think that's happening.
0: <laughs> well, that's, that's the important easy. thing Graham. Let's you,
1: talk about the Dark Side War for a second.
0: Sure, let's let's get the update. Uh, we should have like little theme music. Bomb Dark Side War update. You were so quiet. I'm like, uh, uh, all right. No, that work. was so
1: great. That's why. <laughs> um, like I said, I got sent in the first couple of parts of the Green Lantern New Gods crossover. Mm-hmm. Um, I've said, I'm on record in the past as saying that I'm actually really enjoying this current era of Green Lantern much more than the Jeff Johns era. Yes, you. Yes. Um, yeah. Hey, if you've ever wanted to read uh, a Marvel Comics from the 1970s version of Green Lantern New Gods... You should be picking up godheads. <laughs>
0: <laughs> done and
1: done, my friend. It um, is. Yeah. It is literally. Uh, well, first of all, it starts from the. What if the new genus, Genis, Mm-hmm. The, the whatever the new gods are technically called, um, are as complicit in the conflicts with Darkseid as Apocalypse is. Right. Uh, it's the point where Highfather is a dick. Is an
0: outright dick. Right. Which you had, we had sort of noticed with a, a certain amount of trepidation, had been, it was part of those uh Furfer Man and the Infinity People issues.
1: Yes. Right? And is also uh, from the Wonder Woman, his Wonder Woman appearance as well.
0: Ah, that's right. Yeah.
1: Um, but, so you, you sort of have to get your head around what if father is a bit of a dick. Right. But if you can get your head around that, mm-hmm. it is a kind of spectacular old-school Marvel crossover. Hmm. The the plot of it is they are trying to get... Uh, High Father and Metreon have decided that this, whatever is beyond the source wall
2: mm-hmm.
1: will allow them to basically end the war.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It has already been established in the Green Lantern stories that uh, Kyle Rayner has basically gone to the other side and come back. Hmm. nobody knows this apart from Hal Rayner mm-hmm. mm-hmm. all the other Green Lanterns think he died mm. they, they think he went one way and didn't come back uh, Measuring discovers that he's come back mm-hmm. and it's like he did it by having all the different lanterns together let's collect lots of rings and mm. then we'll make a weapon out of them hmm. and that's your for this this crossover hmm well, so
0: it's that's a pretty yeah, a decent M- McGuffin, yeah mm-hmm.
1: yeah, that's all I need Mm-hmm. Uh, as first issue, which is the the one shot,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: they do they do that the entire thing. They get all the lanterns, they get or rather they get all the rings. They mm-hmm. build the rep and it doesn't work. Hmm. And then the rest of it is all the fallout from that. It's totally enjoyable, but it is very much
0: a 1970s Marvel story. Well, I was about to say, or depending on how the story is told, a 1980s story called Thanos Quest, which would be hilarious. <laughs> um uh really? Is yeah, that, 'cause what I, I like I read Thanos Quest, I just don't remember.
1: Like, I really don't remember anything. Is that really the plot of Thanos Quest?
0: Yeah, Thanos Quest Thanos is like I'm going to collect all the you know, the gems to, to build the Infinity Gauntlet, and they're all resting on the heads of all these other clowns who don't know what they are. You know, so he goes and, and takes on the various uh whatever the fuck they're called, the elders or the immortals. Oh yeah, yeah. Um,
1: yeah it's okay, it's totally that then.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> See for me, for me, it really reminds me of the Avengers: Defenders War. Mm, oh, right, which also has a collect them all and build a new thing kind of yeah. deal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 very much that it's you know updated with uh, Robert Vindity and uh, Justin Jordan and Charles Sewell writing it. Mm-hmm. But it's 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 totally fun. It's totally fun old school superheroes. Wow! As what? long as you can buy into the new gods are dicks. Like if if you're if you're
0: so married to the Kirby version, mm-hmm. you might have problems getting past it. Yeah, it's kind of it is kind of rough in a way. Like I have to say, I mean, I don't. Uh, I come I come to my new God's love really relatively late, um, and so it's not like I have a ton of like oh absolute inherent affection for all the characters. In part because God. God bless him. You know, Kirby was crafting these characters, like you know, with half an eye on the abstraction. They were they were yes. universal characters, uh, to to be generous in a way. Uh, so in that uh, in that sense, operating almost at with a form of schema it is a little disappointing. Like I think I feel like Kirby really was kind of like, no, 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 these, these are new gods. You know? I mean, it was very much the idea of Well, who knows? I mean, it seemed like these these guys are better than us. That's an important thing for us to keep in mind. And then you see the struggles that play out within underneath the umbrella of that. Mm-hmm. But by the time you get to the hunger dogs, he's clearly become a little more disenfranchised, you know?
1: Mm. Um, the, the one, the one characterization I really have problems with is mm-hmm. not actually, uh, the problem of this story as much as the problem with Wonder Woman. I cannot buy into the new Orion. Mm. The new Orion is so human mm-hmm. to the point where like he talks and slang and everything. Mm that it it doesn't he's not alien enough whereas mm-hmm. what i can buy into with the the green lantern version of the characters mm-hmm. uh it's that they are all still alien enough or removed enough mm-hmm. that they're not dicks because they're dicks they're dicks because they have some alternate higher purpose in mind that they're single-handedly the single-mindedly obsessed with right so for example highfather doesn't come across as like i'm just a jerk he comes across as i'm obsessed with this war and obsessed with ending the war at whatever cost right right whereas orion is just a dick <laughs> you know is it, like orion is like guy Gardner, right right which just reads and has always read really wrong to me mm-hmm.
0: yeah to me too i mean that you know when you have a,
1: when you have orion hitting on wonder woman when she's in the Wonder Woman series mm-hmm. or in the Greenland, she was like calling everyone greeny and like mm-hmm. trying to them. mm mm-hmm. them. It's like, that, that doesn't work. That doesn't right. work for me at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of interesting how, how they're, how, I don't know the, 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 it's something that's kind of been on my mind uh, recently, um, probably because at some point it may end up being a, an entry for our, 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 pot, our, website but uh is the idea of the anti-hero character kind of the anti-hero asshole character like that is such an important sort of staple from you know basically it's it's how marvel sort of made built their made their their loot really yeah. but it's fascinating how difficult it kind of is to do right and to, well, and to do well what's really interesting you know? is you know your antihero starts off
1: with if you know if you go back to Marvel with the thing yeah who is a jerk but is a cuddly jerk especially as the Fantastic Four goes on he starts right. you know with the first few issues I mean he's
0: just surly right right uh, right but then exactly. but then he
1: gets softened super quickly mm-hmm. but at some point and I I'm not sure when that point is antiheroes just progressively get worse and worse and worse their oh, their, their right. social skills and their ability to uh form relationships i guess mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um totally unravel right to the point where an antihero is defined by you know he has no social skills mm-hmm. he is just an idiot who is single-mindedly obsessed with whatever his purpose is. And you would like, if you
0: ever met him in real life, you would never want to be around him. Right. Uh, Which I think, uh, which is kind of a mistake uh, for me. Because if you think about it, honestly, Wolverine goes through the same arc that the thing does and pays, I think, bigger dividends even, you know? Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But also Wolverine goes through that arc in a much slower fashion Yes And also a much more deliberate fashion Yes I feel that I mean because the thing got super cuddly Super quickly I mean mm-hmm. by what
0: Issue 10 He's is being Blackbeard uh, uh, Oh issue 4 Is Blackbeard when, Is it issue
1: 4 Yeah cause what, that's it, when But you know what I mean Like changed. it's super Super quickly Yeah hmm. Mm-hmm. That like It's like You know Oh you guys I'm gonna pretend To fight the torch Blah 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 Whereas yes. Wolverine Is unknowable And then becomes dangerous Yeah And then becomes distant for want of a better way of putting it. Like you get the hints that he is looking for companionship, but he doesn't know how to get there. Yes. And then that pays off. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like Wolverine actually has a proper character arc as opposed to the thing just changes. Right. The thing, right. The thing just does change. The thing gets changed up in, in, in a, yeah, in a way that's interesting and is very much in, uh, you can't really chalk up in any way to organic character growth. Where oh yeah, I agree, not, not in the yeah. slightest. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then, and then, sort of by force of personality, in a way, as it develops, uh, it becomes becomes really kind of this this centerpiece for the universe for the longest time. So it's fascinating to me the way in which I feel like there are characters. I mean, even over in the Legion of Superheroes, I think there were the characters that were the, the anti-heroes who then sort of became, like, core to the team or else, you know, sacrificed themselves and died so that the, the team could, you know, survive or whatever. You know, it, it the anti-hero is such, a, is such a great essential piece of the modern superhero comic puzzle, and yet it seems like we only... Very rarely do we get the the big hits, despite those big hits being really clearly hard to ignore. You know, it's not like any, nobody's ever read a, a Wolverine comic or, you know, a, a comic book featuring the thing for for crying out loud. It, if you're of a certain age, and yet it it is amazing how much of it gets down to more of a kind of like, I'm a mouthy jerk and I'm gonna put you all down and then you're all gonna hate me, but you're gonna respect me because I'm the fucking best kind of thing. Like I'm like that. That really seems like the wrong way to do it. You know? Yeah, I, but also. That that First of all,
1: that is the way that the anti is presented now. And secondly, that's always rewarded by the other characters. Yes. Wolverine had to earn the other characters' respect mm-hmm. in the X-Men. Right. And nowadays, that wouldn't be the case. Mm-hmm. Wolverine would be a jerk, would be antisocial, would be a violent, would be a loose cannon. But all the other characters would inherently be like, well, he's like that for a reason, everyone. Give him room.
0: Interesting. I also... Well... I also even feel like, yeah, that's actually a good point. I feel there was a point with Wolverine where one of the things that I thought was a great choice in a lot of ways was first was even if, even with people sort of quote unquote, respecting Wolverine, that didn't mean they wanted to be around him. You oh know yeah. What I no. mean? And I think that for is the, for an the longest part. time. Mm-hmm. People didn't like, exactly. I, it
1: was, it was an, a thing mm-hmm. when Wolverine wanted to socialize with them. Mm hmm uh with the team and no one was quite certain how to deal with it
0: yeah yeah
1: whereas i feel that if that scene happened today mm-hmm. the other characters would be flattered <laughs> do you, do you know, know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah because i think at some point the anti-hero has become uh a figure for other characters and the reader to uh respect isn't necessarily the right word. Mm-hmm. But but it's a character to to aspire to be. Right. Right. Because both, I, both inside yeah. and outside the text. Right. Whereas, you know, back when Wolverine first appeared, that wasn't the case.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You I, aspired to you aspired
0: to be Cyclops. Right. Right. You aspired to be Cyclops. Well, I because I think there was that idea of hmm as as much lip as we gave the individual back in specifically i guess really starting in the 60s and then moving into the 70s the fact is there was still sort of the concept of the team you know what i mean there's there that being part of the team being a good member of a team being a good member of the of the band the fact the idea of the band as sort of some sort of sacred unit you know but I feel that, you know, at least here in the United States, 30, 40 years down the line, the individual is sacrosanct, you know, and, and we're in a situation that the, the idea of the, you know, the worship that has happened of the corporate executive, of the CEO, in which an entire company is guided and shaped and worships one person you know has so filtered down to that concept that yeah the the everyone has to aspire to be the anti-hero because he's the ultimate individual not you know not the ultimate part of the team yeah
1: know? it's but i mean you can see that in you can see that in all manner of superhero titles especially team titles think of how justice league was reinvented for the new 52 mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. went from a team where teamwork was what made them work to A team where no one quite trusted each other Mm -hmm. and no one, like, everyone is suspicious of everyone else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, it's definitely trying to be more commercial, but I really feel like it's lost something as a result. And, you know, Legion of Superheroes is another example. Mm -hmm. Legion of Superheroes just does not work in Mm -hmm. today's market anymore. Mm -hmm. But it's because it's a massive team where everyone is dedicated to the same
0: ideals, Right. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very strange concept. I mean, on the one hand, it makes sense that there is a, like you said, for dramatic purposes, I feel that there is a much higher value being placed on the concept of, um, personal, personalized drama in superhero comics. The idea that Mm -hmm. things have to be personal, they have to have personal stakes for, the characters it can't just sort of be a like oh no the world is ending what are we going to do sort of situation um but yeah i do feel that part of the way that significantly messes with the a certain segment of the appeal of comic books is the that idea of you can find a place where you belong you know like it's like um it's very much as if the superhero comics from the big two for the most part. And and let let me jump over to this actually uh, is the idea that, that um, comic books today have really kind of only taken on like kind of the worst aspects of the internet, the like, Hey, let's you and him fight about everything forever
1: aspect of Twitter.
0: (laughs) You know what I mean? But, but, there is a way, actually. I was wondering about. I, I said all that, and then I was thinking very much about how, uh, s- specifically in my mind, um, Marvel's Ms. Marvel book is more about the other side of the internet, the the I, the inclusive the inclusivity of discovering who you are, being able to to transcend, just simply kind of your roots, you know, like, and, and become, and make larger connections to the larger universe around you, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I, yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, first of all, yes, mm-hmm. um, but while we were talking about the anti-hero and I made the reference to the Legion of Superheroes being about an ideal, yes. I looked down at the comic in front of me, Green Lantern, which is still about that as well,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and has, post-John's, been far less about the oh my father you know i am personally fucked up and i'm dealing through dealing with issues and much more about the world or in this case the universe is in trouble we should fix it because we live here
0: well it also seems that and perhaps unsurprisingly uh not that i was paying any attention at all but it seemed as if the johns era green lantern also had that idea that that the Green Lantern titles have been stuck in for a while, which is essentially we are devoted to this ideal. But, oh, look at the Guardians. Either the ideal is corrupt. The Guardians set up an ideal that they no longer believe in and therefore are in the process of betraying it. You know, like there's all oh, these yeah, yeah. Greatest... The,
1: the, the Jeff Johns era mm-hmm. was pretty much marked
0: by we can't trust our figures of authority. Right. Right. So it, it is kind of, uh, like, you know, the idea that you are sub- devoted to an ideal, but you can't actually, um, trust the people you, behind it, and consequently, maybe the ideal itself is somewhat suspect, I suppose.
1: Mm-hmm. Whereas the post-John's era has been very much of the, the ideal is still the ideal, we have to work towards that again. Right. Right. Which, uh, but no, you're, 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 to get back to what you were actually saying about Miss Marvel though, you're I think you're entirely correct. Mm-hmm. I think Miss Marvel is is a book that uh believes in and wants to promote the idea of a community and a culture that we not only belong to but which we curate and create. Right. And the personal responsibility that comes within that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Miss Marvel's actually a really interesting book to do with that as well, because you've also, you're also dealing with Kamal's faith, mm-hmm. uh, which she simultaneously, uh, struggles with, mm-hmm. but also fully believes and fully, like, there, there's right. no risk, like, there's no real hint of, at any point, she's going to be like, no, this isn't for me. Like, a you know, a dramatic cover yes. where, you know, She's walking away in their bins in the foreground. Do you know what I mean? Like oh, there's, and there's her burqa's like in the that's, that's, trash can. That, that, oh my that, god. That's what I'm saying. Like we're oh, we're man. nowhere near that. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Because what you're presented with in Ms. Marvel mm-hmm. is very much uh These cultures aren't perfect, but the way to change them is to engage with them.
0: Yes. Right. Right. Which is which is another sort of Internet aspirational comment, Uh you know? Yeah, very, very much. Mm-hmm. The, the, the idea that you need
1: to be engaged, mm-hmm. the idea that you can't just comment from outside.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, considering in a way how that stuff sort of may have grown directly and or indirectly out of the Carol Core and the experience of Captain Marvel as it was embodied and experienced on the internet as opposed to in the direct market is, you know, is pretty fascinating. And it would be curious, like part of me does hope that though, that that sort of concept manages to re manifest in comics. And it would actually, I just kind of had this moment of like, holy shit, like this is how you actually make comic books like, um, meaningful superhero comics, meaningful again, you know, is because it literally is like, you know, not an outmoded guide of behavior from back in the days where like, I don't know, we looked up to like newspaper reporters and there were newspapers, you know, uh, but this idea of like, this is a way for, for people to actually a, a new way for them to, to sort of come together and behave you know, especially again on the internet, you know, it's kind of like, huh, I don't know if maybe that's a place to go. Cause I, cause of course I think all of us do have more than just the negative experience of the internet. We have dozens and dozens of positive experiences on the internet as well. But did you read the, there was a couple of weeks ago, one of the various, like, here's why I'm quitting Twitter articles. And One of the things that the person said, which made a lot of sense to me, was they were like, you know, every day Twitter, my Twitter feed presented me with something that I found unbelievably depressing, you know, and and I just didn't like that stuff stayed with me more than the positive stuff did. And I thought that that was that's that is that is kind of the problem in a way to sort of handle, to try and figure out how to handle the, 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 I don't know what the right word is, I suppose, the the potential cycle of nihilism that you can find on the internet, I suppose, you know, e- even without trying it, to.
1: But it's very strange to find, uh, I'm not even going to say the internet, it's very strange to find certain areas of and networks within the internet cycling towards nihilism. Yes, and that it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy mm-hmm. that you have as it, as it trends towards pessimism, as it trends towards, um, a dystopian view of the world, mm-hmm. you find that the, the optimists, that the, those who want to become engaged in change are supposed to complain will then leave those areas. Right. And go somewhere else. And so it's been fascinating for me to see everyone on Twitter the last couple of weeks being like, I am now joined hello."
0: Yes. Oh my God. You know, Ello. it's mm-hmm. like,
1: okay, so you're just bailing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that I'm like a fuck you for bailing because I'm sure if someone gave me an hello invite, I'd join as well. Mm-hmm. But do, do you know what I mean? Like, there's it, it's very interesting to me that almost the. The more people complain and the more that, that pushes others away. Right. That it becomes a a profit. Like the, the negativity promotes the death of the thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there, there, there is a certain nihilism to, to the internet. And I think the internet in general trends towards nihilism at different rates. Mm -hmm. But I also think that when you see when you get to the point where you plug into something and all you're getting is the negativity and the depressing things mm-hmm. a it's completely logical to leave because mm-hmm. why would anyone voluntarily put themselves through that right but b that in itself might be a sign that it's time to move on yeah. and and find something
0: new but it, yeah, interesting because i it it's kind of one of those like that i thought you were going to end up at the exact opposite space which is that, kind that, of that, that's that's when you dig in your heels and change it. Yeah, or I mean that. How do I put it? Like, without sounding too much of a robust hippie, I I feel like the trick is just trying to change yourself. I suppose. Like, I for people who don't know, <laughs> Graham McMillan lives in Portland, Oregon. I here live in San Francisco. <laughs> California, uh, I was I was up visiting Graham last week, and one of the things that was unbelievably frustrating <laughs> was how for Jeff uh, for me was how absolutely unrelentingly, almost certainly without fail, uh, kind and respectful people were in public spaces. It was, it's not a hundred percent. There were a few times where like somebody like people still would drive like dicks, uh, in front of me, or I would notice like the occasional like patch of, of unclean dog crap that, you know, had been, you know, scud out across the pavement. But I was, I, it was, it was frustrating for me because San Francisco has become such a, uh, Dystopian nightmare for me in some ways. Just filled. It it made you angry. The Portland experience made you angry for the first couple of days. Let's let's just be honest.
1: It really (laughs) did. You were. Well, I've said this before. When Mm -hmm. Kate and I moved up here, first of all, Mm -hmm. uh, we were greeted in our neighborhood by neighbors coming over to welcome us to the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. People were amazingly nice, amazingly kind. And Kate and I, for living in San Francisco for seven years, for me, ten years for her we're not equipped to deal with it Mm -hmm. we really were just like what the fuck is your problem are you just being nosy why are you coming over like we weren't saying that obviously but that that was what we were thinking we were honestly thinking why are all these people coming over oh they must just want to be nosy right and then we realized no they're actually being nice Mm -hmm. like they're when they say is there anything you need they actually are asking that question
0: yeah yeah
1: Yeah, so. And and so you had had a very similar experience. Mm -hmm. A different experience than you weren't moving up here. Yeah. But definitely, I remember we were talking to you after a couple of days and you were very much of the, it's driving us crazy because people are nice.
0: Right. Right. I think to be, to, to be fair, to be the opposite of fair, to, to shrug all the blame off on my wife, I think Edie's the one where her... Oh, I, I'm going, I'm going to flip that around to you right
1: now. It was you. (laughs) <laughs> it, it was you. Well,
0: so here's the thing. It is slightly, but it was you, Jeff. Mm, I okay. <laughs> I'm 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 not uh, how do I put it? I f- I feel the extent to which I disagree uh, agree might be the extent to which I'm being misled. Uh, uh in uh, in which you're misinterpreting necessarily um my reactions. Cuz m- my reactions had to do with more of a like I don't know, maybe just last month, I guess, when Burning Man was over and people started coming back from Burning Man. Um, I was thinking, because I had, as you know, had gone to Burning Man for approximately five years straight from like 97 through 2002. It's probably not five years, 98 to 2002. My last year, Edie and I went, and then that was – Pretty much it. There there were a variety of reasons why that was enough for me. But one of the things that really had inspired me so much the very first time I went to Burning Man was the idea that Burning Man very directly puts forth the idea that you are in many ways responsible for your own experience. There are certain caveats to that. I mean, there's some parts of the the camps that are noisy all nights long, and there are other camp parts that aren't so quiet. There's things you have to learn, I suppose. But you are, in the way that you're sort of, you better bring enough stuff, you know, to be able to survive, Um, you're responsible for your own experience. And yet, one of the things that I found so incredibly Uh, heartening about Burning Man was the way in which there was a focus on the idea of building community and that community involved a lot of very conscious consideration for your other neighbors. So there was a lot of like, when you pulled up and you parked your tent, usually the people in the other tents would come by and greet you and offer you a beer, like very common Burning Man experience. And I remember the first few years of Burning Man coming back and being like, oh, right, I've got to be more engaged with San Francisco and my community as a community member. I can't just kind of be an angry passive turd about it. And one of the things that was frustrating for me over the years is the way that, despite me trying to do that, San Francisco still became a markedly shittier place. It's to the point now where there are. I, it's like I love the city, but there's also just people who will happily drive over you, you know, to get to not even to get the to get not even to get to a parking spot, just to get to a place where they can queue up for a parking spot. Like it's just. Bad And by contrast, being in Portland, what was difficult was, like, for someone like me who is so frustrated by so many bicyclists who, like, run the light and flip you off and make you completely responsible for their safety so that they can outsource all that stuff that was previously the idea of, like, how the hell do I survive in a busy city when I'm on a bike with no protection – You know, they're like, "Oh, great! You guys can all handle that shit. I'll either get a big uh, settlement, or I'll now be able to talk on my iPhone while running a red light on a 10-speed." You know, in Portland, we had situations where the bicyclists signaled before they before they made their turn, smiled and waved at you as they did so. And ones that actually came to complete stops at traffic lights. A thing that people in San Francisco, bicyclists in San Francisco had told us on, on many occasions was physically impossible. So I feel like a lot of my what you read as me being super angry at the nice people in Portland, there was an element of uh, yeah, Jesus Christ, they're annoying as hell kind of New Yorker ish stage. Oh no, no, me. no, no. I
1: I wasn't reading you as angry as being the people in Portland, I'm treating you as being angry because of the people in Portland. I don't uh, think you're angry yeah. at the Portland people, right? I think you're angry because of their behavior, because right. you didn't see it elsewhere, and it put the uh, behavior in San Francisco in sharp relief.
0: Yes, yeah, okay. In that case, you saw it entirely accurately. Yeah, what what you saw was <laughs> a very severe form of like oh, jealousy, yeah, jealousy and envy and frustration and not so nice feelings that stemmed entirely from a ah. Uh, why can't we have this? You know, like this is something I really want. But uh, when I came back from San Francisco, I was kind of like, you know what? I mean, I came back here and you I'm like, what? fuck you guys. Yeah. Fuck it. You, 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 you can all, I'm just going to run over all of you. No, I, I just, I really came back thinking like, you know what? Would it really Like, why don't I just sort of be more civil and respectful And not in a, you know, this unconscious sort of tit-for-tat kind of passive-aggressive way that I think I had slipped into. Um, But more of a just genuine, like, it's nice to do nice things for people. I mean, it's nice when it's appreciated, but frankly, there's something about doing it kind of for the scope of just doing it. I suppose, that really um, has been, I've been, I'm not sure how much I'm doing it. It's probably, it's ridiculously slight. And I'm sure anyone who looked at my um, patterns of the last three days would be, oh, Jeff, don't worry. You're still a terrible person. But uh, but it feels like a very different thing to me, at least for now. Um, and I think I was going to tie that into... Behavior on the Internet. Oh, which is like kind of like as much as I understand everyone, because just four months ago, I was like, how can we build a new Internet? Because I think this one's pretty much permanently fucked up. Like, I think we did this one wrong and it's all just going to be, you know, Facebook spying on us and trolls um, basically starting fights with everyone and and making everything worse. And now I'm just a little bit more like, nah, you know, fuck those guys. I'm gonna hang out, and the last thing I really want is lo because, and this is where I get cynical. Those lo fucks are gonna sell every all of those people out like in a heartbeat. In oh, you
1: you a saw heartbeat. the person pointing out the the terms of use?
0: Thing, yes, where it's
1: basically like. I'm not, we're not gonna sell your information unless we partner with someone and then we're gonna sell your information.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I was one of the people that saw that and was like, holy shit, let me retweet this and ruin someone's day. Cause I thought that it was important to know. So. Um, Sorry,
1: everyone.
0: Yeah, everyone. Boy, oh boy. Uh, so you're stuck with us is what it's, <laughs> and you're gonna love it. Um, but at least you have exactly. many opportunities Self-shit. to Talk shit, you guys. <laughs> you're not Uh, getting ready with that easily that's right and on that bombshell no um Graham I feel are there other things we should talk about did did you want to run down some Uh, books very quickly or yeah
1: I I actually did want to run down some books very quickly Mm -hmm. Um, I mean
0: if we were doing a three hour podcast this would probably be the segue to talk about Annihilator since you'd mentioned reading it and having some some thoughts we're not doing a three hour podcast (laughs) we're we're not
1: I'll just tell I'm going to run down some stuff quickly instead okay um You and I both talked about this when we were in town and Mm -hmm. said that it's actually a shame that we didn't talk about it in the podcast, but Wild's End number one, which is uh, the Boom series by Dan Abnett and Ian J. Mm Coulbard, is amazingly good. It is uh, Winds and the Willows meets War of the Worlds, but somehow better than that high concept sounds. It's a really, really enjoyable science fiction book and is highly recommended. Yeah. Um, also highly recommended is the Doctor Who 11th Doctor series mm. that is drawn by Simon Fraser and switches off writers between Al Ewing and Rob, I've forgotten his last name. I'm going to have to... Rob Williams? What? Is it the... the- Rob the- Williams, yeah. yes, yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. It's Rob Williams. Yeah. Um, the third issue just came out this week and is by far the best issue of the series yet. In that it gives you an episode that could be done on television, but is also better than any episode that's been on television in the last, oh, three or so years at least. Really? Wow. Yeah. Great. Uh, the, the, the high concept of it is the doctor goes with his new companion to see a very thinly veiled David Bowie's first performance, only for him to be shit. Uh, <laughs> and then they decide, fuck it, we're going to go and see Robert Johnson instead. And David Bowie follows them into the TARDIS and they don't notice. And so you end up with thinly veiled David Bowie and Robert Johnson trying to save a possessed doctor uh from people who were essentially trying to eat people's souls. Wow. Exactly, right? <laughs> Wonderful yeah. high concept shit. Yeah. Re- uh, and also, like, it, it really, it was tonally perfect for the TV show, mm-hmm. but honestly better than anything TV show's done in a while. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Really, really, really strong stuff. Um, and very much in my, oh, this is what I want from Doctor Who wheelhouse. Right. Right. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to mention is something else I mentioned to you, mm-hmm. which is anyone who's reading Judge Dread magazine right now, there is a serial, again, written by Dan Abnett, mm-hmm. uh, called Lawless, which is about, uh, Colonel Marshall Meta Lawson, who is a, judge who is not entirely like Dread, shall we say, mm-hmm. uh, who is sent to a frontier township on another planet to be the sheriff. And it is both very good science fiction and very funny if you're steeped in Dread mythology. The mm-hmm. uh, thing I told uh, Jeff when he was here was it's the series that explains that regular cursing has been outlawed in Mega City 1. So you have characters saying things like shit and fuck. And then being like, you couldn't say that back on earth. <laughs> Which, Which is such a small joke, but such a great one.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful, when you think about it, that payoff is, is very, very rich indeed. Um, yeah, uh, sorry, uh, other books? Uh, no, that,
1: that's, that's pretty much all I wanted to, to really talk about. I've read other stuff, but nothing that really springs to mind is I must talk about it. So go ahead, Jeff.
0: Well, I'm, I'm not sure if I, let's just say the notes for a larger podcast would have involved, uh, Graham and I discussing uh, Annihilator number one. Uh, we would have discussed, uh, Saga issue 23, I think instead. uh, Oh, have you read it? I have read it. Yes, exactly. Cause I. So do
1: you see, do you see what I was saying about the, the turnaround?
0: Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Which
1: I really liked. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I should go into a bit more detail cause I, I set this up on the podcast. Um, I was not buying into the, this is how, uh, Hazel's parents split up mm-hmm. plot at all. Mm-hmm. And so I really appreciated the, the, the turn in this issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that essentially neither were their parents, but circumstances forced them apart.
0: Yeah. I yeah.
1: really appreciated that. Yeah.
0: It was, it was a very, very fun way to play off that promise, I think. And it's interesting because it did do a great job of moving us into, oh, like, kind of like now the book is.
1: Yeah. Well, what is the book now?
0: I feel that it's going to be uh like the who knows how long the family is going to be separated, but, you know, could be an arc, could be two arcs. But I feel that there is like all of the characters have stakes again, of course, in a way that yeah. That's, yeah the very point of this of this arc was the threat that they made that they had sort of lost their stakes i suppose and yes. now that yeah. the drama that has grown that gives gives everything back really very enjoyable very enjoyable strong issue honestly my seriously when you've got a comic where your only complaint is there was you know that because of the questionnaire there wasn't really a letters column i think that's that's a good sign um you Of course, heard us uh, talk about Grayson number three, which I enjoyed. The death of Doctor Mirage issue one. I was. Did you read? Did you get a hold of Men of Wrath number one, Graham? I
1: did not. To be honest, it looks very much like nothing I'd be interested in as much as I do like Aaron. Interesting. I I find I find that I like Jason Aaron's work a bunch. Mm-hmm. But I also find that it has
0: to be something that I have some affinity for in the first place. Well, which is fascinating because I wouldn't have said – I wouldn't have thought that about Southern Bastards. But you've been reading that and are in on that, right? There's something about the, the sense of place that I really enjoy in Southern Bastards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. also, to be
1: fair, the reason I read that and I think the reason I went past issue one was I loved the art. I thought mm-hmm. it
0: was visually stunning. Yeah. And, uh, I, and I and, you know, Ron Garney's fine, but he's also just fine. Well, how do I put it? That is, I almost feel like Men of Wrath is exactly everything I think Southern Comfort, or Southern Bastards, I've worried it would be, and and was not. Reading it, uh, reading Aaron's back page, it's very clear that he is doing, like, the Men of Wrath is, is in a way, a, a very much a... a Sister title or brother title to Southern Bastards, and yet it is precisely the way in which the mehness above Ron Garney's art, like Men of Wrath, is much flatter and more. It's all this stuff that you wouldn't be interested in. I'm I'm reading it because I I'm a soft touch when it comes to like oh he's an unstoppable you know. Awful bastard who is put on the absolute impossible mission, you know, kind of thing. Like, I'm, I'm down with that, but, but whereas, literally, you, you saying that, and I'm shaking my head. Right, exactly. That is literally the sort of thing that you would not appreciate. Uh, I thought that um, the latest issue of The Walking Dead, one thirty two, continues the current streak of Kirkman that Kirkman has of alternately giving me what I want, making me suspect that he is, that the book's never going to pay off in a way that satisfies me. And yet dot, dot, dot all at the three, all at the same time. One of the things that I thought was very interesting was there without revealing, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but the previous issue had led to a suggestion that could have been a really crazy, status quo game changer this issue takes that pushes it so far forward that you're like you literally like your disbelief is broken like no he can't no he's not going to do that and then at the end there's a little bit of a, oh okay okay whew. like i don't know in other words all of which is to say i think that kirkman is really good at second guessing his audience and also kind of making at least in this arc very intriguing arguments at a th- at a thematic level at a metatextual level of this is why the walking dead really isn't going to get out of its zone very much and this is why you're going to be grateful for that in the long run so
1: i i might ask what do you think
0: about the rumors about the tv spinoff Oh, uh, the TV spinoff, yeah, which even had like a description of characters involved in it. Interestingly enough, the, the Walking Dead, the comic is, is a, is a relatively guilty pleasure in that there's part of me that's kind of like, it's still near the top of the pile, I still read it, and yet there's a little bit of that classic, um, pardon the pun, Marvel zombiness to it of like, yeah, I have to read it. I have to read it first. Where my level of enjoyment rests is at some level that I can no longer actively measure. You know, like I'm like, either <laughs> I'm enjoying this in a it's, way that I can't appreciate. Yeah.
1: It's an obsession or it's right. an obsession. Yeah. Um, or, so, I, it's, so you have no interest in
0: the idea of watching this TV show if it is the prequel. Honestly. So. Th- all of which is to say, I never really got much into the TV show. I watched that pilot episode, which I thought was great. And then the second issue was uh, second episode was one of the biggest bags of crap. And from yeah, what I, I heard...
1: I, I, I remember it, having that exact experience as well. I was like, this is great. And the second episode was like, this is not."
0: Yeah, it was so, so shitty. I don't even remember. Maybe I got like two or three more episodes in. But I was just like, I'll, I'll come to this when I have more time. Which is to say, probably never. So for me, part of me is like, sure, if they want to fuck things up by doing a prequel set in the early days of the outbreak, let them. Like, but I, but part of me is kind of like, I think that's kind of... Uh, and on the one hand, setting something in the early days of the outbreak, which we've not seen in the comic book and we haven't seen in the TV series, as far as I know, seems very, very attractive. And it can also set up a lot of really interestingly unorthodox ways to cross over with the current show. You know what I mean? And yet at the same time, part of me is like, I I also have, uh, I'm not especially passionate enough about it to where I could like get excited about it. I just can't see necessarily how it's going to work. Like they're like, you know, kind of that idea of like, oh sure, we're doing like late stage zombie stuff, but imagine an early stage zombie thing. Like part of me is like, I don't really see how that could play off in any really interesting way, but I I could be very very wrong, you know. I mean, I don't know. It it'll it it's it's interesting that they're doing it. Honestly, if it ends up being a success, I'm like, oh great, that's what Robert Kirkman needs: two enormous money trucks backing up to his door each and every month. But you know, eh, whatever.
3: You're just the jealous. End.
0: I, I, dude, believe me, if I could get the money truck, if I could even get anywhere near the, just seeing the money truck. Uh, what else did I If up? I
1: could get to the money depot.
0: Yeah, Money Depot. Oh, boy, Money Depot. Night World number 3, gorgeous art. I am entirely disconnected from the story. And oh, I've got, I've got to tell you. I tried out
1: those first two issues on your recommendation. And, Jeff, I'm so glad that you enjoyed like. them. Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah. Did you – well, I have to admit that I thought the second issue was kind of a come down from the first. But you did not I wasn't like it even right out of the, the gate. I wasn't even the yeah, interesting. Interesting. Okay. Well, I can I can see that there were parts in this that I were like I was like mmm terrible. Uh it's really <laughs> crunchy badness. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's I think the storyteller, uh, I think the artist has chops. I think the the writer his is is in way over his head. Uh and yeah, it's not really not really that enjoyable, but I did pick it up in I should mention that thanks to Graham, I was able to read both uh, Bumperhead by Gilbert Hernandez and the pretty staggering Hospital Suite by John Porcolino, Porcelino. I always say Porcelino. hope that's the I, way it's pronounced. I think you're right. We'll yeah. see. Of, of the aforementioned King Cat Comics. If you're a fan of King Cat Comics, holy shit, the Hospital Suite is kind of like the secret origin of King Cat Comics. Because there's so many... Questions that I have about who John Porcelino is that I feel that the hospital suite really answers. And also it is holy shit. Just kind of the most simply told, but to me crazily gripping story about a person who's, who basically has to deal with their body and the The events of their life yeah betraying them bit by bit interestingly enough i think that's the thing like the mortality is one thing graham but i have to say that the hospital suite even more is about living with either living with your mortality or living with a physical illness um so it it alternates as to the various things that bring our protagonist low but um it it's a kind of like oh here's a story about living with chronic pain that is so well told and but is so deeply deeply painful it's kind in a way it's kind of a harrowing read but it's at that level that i just want to push it into everyone's hands. I thought it was uh, amazing. And then actually going back and rereading one of the issues of King Cat, really, it really brought so much color into it. It was kind of like, oh my god, I really feel like you know, there's things where comics usually have, like it's kind of a staple. Like, here's a comic, here's the narrator who is the cartoonist and you feel you know them but you're aware that you're your knowledge of them is to an extent a persona, you know, which get played at in different ways by different cartoonists and in, in differing ways. Uh, but what's f- astonishing to me about Porcelino is, is that he always felt like reading King cat was kind of like spending time with somebody like a distant acquaintance who was very open and candid, but you know, you walked away from being like, wow, what kind of like, what powers that guy? What's really going on with that guy? And after seeing the hospital suite, it's kind of like seeing that other stage of like, Oh, I really feel like I know a huge chunk of how this person is and their, what their, what the measure of their life is. And it's um, like extraordinarily extraordinarily humbling, I guess, for, for lack of a better word, really just a stunning read. And I'm hoping that there's an entire generation of super lo-fi cartoonists who will look at it because, you know, Porcelino's cartooning is representational, but it, but it is always, it always has exactly tells you exactly the right thing, you know? So Really kind of a significant work. Did you end up reading Bumperhead? I did not. Bumperhead was also is very interesting because it looks like you look at the outside wrapper, uh, the the front cover and back cover, and you're like, oh, okay. And I hadn't read Marble Season. It seems like an unofficial sequel to Marble Season in that it is... uh, you see a punk rock youth on the front, you know, that Gilbert Hernandez has had, uh, you know, was really closely tied to a big fan of the Oxnard punk scene back in the, the days of punk in the late seventies, early eighties. And you're like, oh, okay, I know what I'm going to get. And you do not know, uh, Hernandez <laughs> tells a really, really strange story about a kid whose nickname because of his large head is named Bumperhead. Um, that feels like an imaginary autobiography, I guess, you know, it takes things that Hernandez probably never experienced or never experienced them in that way. And yet figures out a way to infuse it, infuse the book with the emotional weight of his own experiences. So it's very much the story of, a boy, the neighborhood that he grows up in, the friendships that he has, and especially the relationship with his father and how all of those things are, I guess for lack of a better term, wrong, but not in any way that he can ever confront. So it's a really strange book. I, In many ways, it reminds me of Wilson by Dan Klaus, which I don't think is even among the Dan Claus lovers is not a, a very widely loved book. Um, but is very, to me felt very similar in its portrait of a protagonist whose inability to grasp the contours of his own life, um, you know, is both very, I guess, literary and anti-literary at the same way, at the same time. It's, it was, it was, it was, it was an impressive read. It's impressive that Gilbert Hernandez can basically, as far as I can tell, draw a book like that, <laughs> write it and draw it and get it out in approximately the, you know, s- same amount in, of time in like that two
1: weeks. Yeah. In the, in yeah. the
0: same amount of time that, that someone like me might be able to go out and successfully buy a pair of shoes, a new pair of shoes. So it's, uh, It's a stunning achievement. It is not an achievement that I think Graham McMillan Esquire would like, but... um,
1: There is a reason they gave it to you without reading it, Jeff. That's all. Well, see,
0: I didn't know. I thought some of these books you passed along were things that you were giving me because you read them, and you wanted me to read them and talk about them. There were some of them. For example, you stole all my Steve Steve Englehart Justice League. Oh, yes, I did, and they were... I haven't read them yet, but I have to say they're... I always you're like, keep they're them They're delicious. They are prominently <laughs> displayed. I just look at them and sigh. So yeah.
1: For people who are wondering what happened, I gave Jeff a like a pile of things to read when you're here. That's
0: right. And you didn't yeah. actually get a chance to read any of them while you were here, did you? No, not at all. Not at all.
1: We were uh, kept busy I'm... with
0: all the busy craziness, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah, I'm sorry. Uh but also there's stuff I meant to give you and didn't. As well, really? I meant to give you the Thanos
0: Infinity Revolution graphic novel. Oh shit! I knew there was something missing. Damn it! Ah, that's gonna kill both of us, because I know it's not like you're like you're like, oh great, <laughs> one more. You know I wanted out the house <laughs> exactly. You know the worst part was I looked over and saw it on your shelves and almost mentioned it while we were in your office talking, and I forgot, because of course people. Grant McMillan's got some pretty fucking A books on his shelf, let me tell you. That guy's got himself a, a pretty fine little collection. Um,
1: and it is a little collection. That it, is.
0: That. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It is not big, which I always knew. But I have to say, it's got um It's not just that it's got texture. I mean, because it always had texture. But every time I come and visit, I'm always like, oh, yeah, look at that. It's so cute. You know what I mean, but now it's there's just a thing where Cramp's like, "Hey, look at I've got 52 hardcovers. Yes, that's right, 52 of them. You do the math, you know." And it's just like, "Jesus, okay, well that's fine then, you know. You go, <laughs> Mister Complist, which I will now go and like bitterly envy, along with the rest of you people in Portland behaving better than us people in San Francisco." If you want
1: to be a soulless heathen in San Francisco and breathe sigh very deeply into the mic so that it distorts, then that's fine.
0: Oh, was it distorting? Sorry about that. I've gotta figure out how to adjust these volumes because whenever I edit the podcast you're like me, 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 and I'm like blah blah blah. So there's a lot of volume variation that hopefully I account for. If I don't, listeners, let us know. Wait what podcast did you do? That was great. I have to say the worst part is <laughs> that sounds al- when Edie's making fun of me talking, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> I'm worried that that's what I actually sound like now. That's uh, really
1: depressing. I don't that bombshell.
0: Indeed. Uh ladies and gentlemen. Uh, yeah, we should we should do our traditional um signing off things. Yes. Yeah. Go. Cool. Um hey everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to have to stall it out because I realize the uh, the little Evernote list where I've got uh, all of our podcasting stuff is um – Thank you. What he means to say is thank you, everyone,
1: very much for everything you've been donating to us on Patreon and pledging. We've crossed $400, which is mind-blowing. I yes. don't mind telling you, listeners, because we're doing this for you. When that happened, I really did email Jeff with an email, and all it said was, Jeff, 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 Jeff. It's totally That was true. it. Yeah, That's yeah. all it said. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing. He knew what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. That's because that's we podcast well.
0: That's right. Exactly. Exactly. No, so not, we're,
1: we're sympatico. And also, what was your response? Your response was equally hilarious. Was it not just e?
0: Yeah, I think that was it. It was like eee. Ee, Cause I had been driving back from Portland when we crossed the Rubicon and so did not see the notice or Graham's email until, uh, until I got out at a rest stop in the middle of nowhere to, um, both pee and get more uh fluids, ironically enough. And while checking my mail, I was like, holy cow, what yep. the hell? So Here's the
1: email. Ah! With Jeff <laughs> That's right. The conversation literally went, Jeff, 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 Jeff. Ah! And that was one of our
0: better conversations, I have to say, yeah. So to the currently 80 patrons that are supporting us over at patreon.com slash wait what podcast thank you so much you make all of this very very possible we uh, appreciate the fact that we are able to drop a podcast every other week several hours completely commercial free um for everyone to enjoy and that is directly due to you find people who are supporting us thank you so much um And, and before we move on
1: there are yes. things we have to tell you, which is, first of all, um I am behind on sending thank you notes to people who have um pledged to us. That will be changing very quickly. It may already have changed by the time this podcast goes up. Also, we are likely in the next, I'm going to say, month, just to give us a timeline, Jeff, mm-hmm. I'm going to be sending out a questionnaire to people who are contributing to our Patreon campaign, basically asking if you're getting your money's worth what you'd like to hear what you would like us not to do again um that will be happening
0: i think we can say that's going to happen in october right uh yeah i would l- let's say before the end of october cuz i think sure. that there's a lot of stuff i'm going to be very busy between now and the 20th and it's going to be maybe painfully so so i'm not going to be able to to be as progressive as I would like, but hopefully after the twentieth, a lot of those things will come together. So, and maybe even sooner. Who knows?
1: Yeah. So we're we're going to be we're going to be reaching out to you and trying to get your feedback about what you, as shareholders in yes. this unofficial LLC we call Wait what, <laughs> would like in the yes. future. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those two things will be happening. Uh, the tote bags
0: uh, will be happening to yes. those who we owe the tote bags to. Hmm. Graham you were pretty impressed with the prototype weren't you
1: I really I, yeah I really was impressed with the prototype And here's a funny thing Jeff The day you left we went out for dinner for Kate's birthday Because my wife had a birthday on the day that Jeff and Edie left um, <laughs> And we were talking to friends about the podcast Mm-hmm. And they got super excited about the idea of toe bags. <laughs> like, Did they? Really, really, yeah, really excited about the idea of toe bags. That is fantastic. So, uh people, the WeightBot Toe Bags are about to exist, and the prototype looks great. Yes. Really, really good. Um So, yes, that's exciting. Yes. I think that's all we need to say about the Patreon people, don't we?
0: I think so. I think so. Uh, uh Thank you. There will be more stuff coming your way, including some questions. Everyone else, you can look for us uh on iTunes and on Stitcher. Uh, and we have an RSS feed that you can subscribe to. Or if you go to our website, wait, what we post those episodes, uh, so that you can listen to them right there and, or right click and save however you want to do it. Um, we're also available on Twitter at, uh, twitter.com wait, what podcast, uh, we've got a Tumblr, which Graham is threatening to turn into a terrifying force of nature at wait, what dot Um, wait, you t- you didn't like what I posted today with the house ads from the DC?
1: Come on. Oh, I would have loved it.
0: I I just I've been busy. You haven't even seen
1: it, have you? I have. Oh I, well, anyone who is uh who wants to see the worst Justice League of America house ad ever created, the most boring how do you turn this comic into the dullest house ad ever? It's up there right now on WakePods.com. Oh,
0: uh, interesting. Did you did you post your is your spirit post is that like Pinned to the top or something? Is that how that works? No, I okay. just
1: I just did it today because I was behind. Ah, uh,
0: okay, yeah, no, there's some there's some very very lovely stuff here. Uh, if you want to hear us talking about movies, man, you can still jump over to that Travis Bickle on the Riviera. I put a link I want to say in the show notes last time, um, and then send it out on our Twitter and what have you. But uh, it's pretty funny listening to me and Sean Witzke um, talk at length about movies while Graham alternately whimpers, giggles, and savages both of us. So it's it's really weird. I to
1: did not savage both of you. I only well, savage... I... I I savage Sean. I
0: I couldn't savage Sean.
1: Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Priorities. I uh, appreciate also I, I love that there are very loud church bells happening behind you. Are you getting married, Jenny? I
0: am We're going to the chapel. No, this is what happens at six o'clock here. Also for people who are into the sonic background in our show, I'm really hoping this comes out in the mix, but at one point someone was operating like a weed whacker outside my apartment at the beginning of the podcast. And then an hour in someone was operating a similar weed whacker in the background of Graham's uh, house uh, in approximately an hour in. So You can sort of imagine it's the same person weed whacking first (laughs) one side of my house and then the back end of Graham's house, uh, which would be hilarious because it's two different states, everybody. Comedy. Comedy genius. (laughs) You
1: know what they say, Jeff? When you need to explain the joke, it might not be working.
0: It is glorious. That's how I was... Maybe I wasn't... I don't know. That is the way it goes, right? If you have to explain the joke, it's glorious because then... The person telling the joke Gets to laugh twice Isn't that, isn't that Exactly
1: it? Yeah Because it shows They're smarter Than everyone else That's that's what it is Right That's my understanding Of comedy Right there So that might more, be An insight More importantly More importantly Listeners uh, Waitwhatpodcast At gmail.com Is where you send Your contest entries Where you tell us The remaining Nine song titles Yes On Jeff Lester's 1993 Debut Slash Only Album
0: Can you Can feel, feel The, the feeling, feeling? That I'm feeling.
1: That I'm feeling. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh... uh and with that, you can win West Valiant Books, you can win Harley Quinn, Volume 1, and Trillium.
0: Yep. Say nothing of Town Number 1, King Cat Comics, and Stories, Number 74. So that's it. Graham, you want to sing us out? Nah. Oh, see, I should just cut it that. I should just run the music that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Bye!
0: Yay! did it